Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Reductopus Cephala Podcast. And that, for uh, those of you who don't know, is the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and Inebriar Podcast Networks. And as always, we are brought to you tonight by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for. I am your host, Parasite Steve. And uh, although I am a cohort list tonight, uh, 8-Bit and Nintendo are taking the night off because this is a uh, subject that, uh, frankly, they uh, they don't really give a shit about. And that's fine because we don't all have to like the same shit. Right. But you know what? I I found a guy who uh, who does like this same shit. And uh, I am I am very excited to have this guest on the show. He's a he's a man that I've known for quite some time. Uh, We have been friends for more than 20 years. Uh, which I had to actually do the math today. I was trying to think about it, and uh, more than twenty years. Uh, this is uh, this is a dude who's a big Stephen King fan and a big Dark Tower fan, and of course, that is what we are talking about today. Which you know because you've already clicked on the episode, you wily retroids, you. So tonight with us tonight, I have Mr. Rick Johnson. How's hey. it going, Rick? Hey, Steve, how are you? It's an absolute pleasure to be on with you. Absolute pleasure. You know, we do we do not talk enough. Uh, no, we don't. I I did not realize it had been 20 years that uh, thanks for making me feel old, pal. It's uh, probably about 22. <laughs> um, I think it is about 22 years because uh, based on my age and the age that I remember seeing your original band, I'm just going to drop the name Short Fuse, uh, Worcester, Massachusetts based uh metalcore i believe is what you guys described yourselves as and uh yeah i think that's accurate uh and we had a uh we had a favorite song of yours uh back in the day and uh it was called alcohol and before you (laughs) played this every single time you always posed this uh this one question to the audience and uh, what was that rick uh is anybody drinking tonight and the answer to your question tonight is yes for the first time ever, I am going to be uh, drinking beers while recording Redoctopus, and it's just for you, buddy. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm uh, drinking some uh, some pumpkin and uh, some Oktoberfest. So you know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens tonight. But um, yeah. So just real quick, I want to read your awesome bio because you're like you're like kind of a big deal uh, up in Maine. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, I know about that. Go ahead. So uh, uh, Rick Johnson has been all over the dial in Portland radio since 2005, doing everything from weekends and overnights in various formats to news anchoring and traffic reporting. An obsessive music fan from a very young age. Uh, that That's true. That's that's putting it lightly, I would say. Obsessive music <laughs> fan. You're like a more of a, a obsessed maniac. I don't know. I, you, you are you are a, you are a lover of all music more than True. almost anyone I know. True. And it transcends genre. Cause you're a big rock and metal fan, but man, you love it all. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so it says uh, when he's not on the radio, Rick spends his time crawling through the bins at local record shops, looking for classic and rare vinyl, all while trying to convince his wife that 2000 plus records isn't nearly enough. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Uh, I have uh, gotten the opportunity to hunt for vinyl with you, and uh, we've been crawling through the bins up in Portland, and that is one of my favorite things to do, and it has been a while. Uh, I, I love it up there. There's just, you can go anywhere. You can go into like a clothing boutique, and there will be like a couple of boxes of vinyl in the back. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, it is truly an embarrassment of riches up here. If you're a record collector. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, at this point I've been to, I've been to Portland probably five or six times. And I mean, every single time my wife and I, uh, you know, we always make it a point to hunt for vinyl always. Like, it's just, you have to <laughs> like you, yeah. it's like good food. Maybe we get to hang out with Rick and we definitely are going to, you know, and, uh, you want to you want to hear a real gem that I found last time I was up there? Yeah. Do you uh, do you know this band? Uh, they are like this bizarre du- duo um, from the 80s, this weird like new wave, like uh, German duo. And, and they're called Modern Talking. Do you know I, them? I, I must admit, I'm not familiar. They they are super bad. And uh, the funny thing is uh, my youngest daughter, Maddie, uh, she and I like were like, she went through a phase where she always wanted to just watch eighties music videos on YouTube. And it got to be like, almost like a mystery science theater thing where the bad ones were actually the better ones. <laughs> it's like, sure. You know, we got aha take on me and that's amazing. But like, you know, then you, you got your Bonnie Tyler videos and you got your just weird shit, you know? And, and one day this, uh, this band modern talking came on. And they have a few videos and they actually have like four or five albums. Like I'd never heard of these guys. They're so terrible. This one record store. Remember that one where that had the, uh, the Frankenstein poster. Oh, strange Maine. Yeah. Lo- love that. Oh, love that place. Uh, yeah. yeah. They had like, they had uh, at least four of, of the records. So I had to buy the one that had the song that we knew. Four bucks. See, Best four bucks ever spent. <laughs> that's the great thing about collecting vinyl is you don't have to spend a fortune and you can come home with some treasures. I mean, just just so true. Just so true. Also found that on that same day, I found um, just just an awesome, successful day. I found the soundtrack to The World's Greatest Lover with uh, <laughs> Gene Wilder. That's just, no, that's just me doing spoken word. <laughs> It's autobiographical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, weirdly, it's all it's all about your brother Steve. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, no, it's pretty obscure. Not a lot of people have heard it. Uh, so uh, there's that, and I also got uh, Dare to Be Stupid on vinyl. Oh, nice! I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I was so excited with that. With I uh, I was just out on Sunday, and I spent uh, thirty five dollars on Triumph Records for some reason. Oh, because. <laughs> Because you can, because well, 2,000 records is not enough. That's why. I, I bought four Triumph records in one store, and I said to the guy at the counter, I was like, look, I know this is more Triumph than anybody needs, but what are you going to do? He's like, uh, it's all yours, buddy. Yeah. Uh, they've been sitting there for a while. Yeah. Nobody needs to be that triumphant. Yes. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so tonight we're here to talk about the Dark Tower. So we're specifically going to talk about the books, not the movie. And um, I have been slowly going through these books. And when I started, you had long finished. I think you've probably read them more than once, right? Uh, You know, it's weird, Steve. I usually, uh, I'll rewatch movies. I usually don't reread books and I'm not sure why. Okay. I'm I'm kind of a one and done guy when it comes to books. Hey, that's... Although I feel like The Dark Tower is deep enough that I could go back and reread and sort of pick up on stuff I didn't pick up on the first time. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just daunting. It's so yeah. long, you know? Yeah. 
And this was a series that, um, so full disclosure, I had, uh, you know, obviously I've heard of the Dark Tower. In the 90s, I'd heard of the Dark Tower. I wasn't a huge reader um, in my like kid and even teen life. I sort of got into reading more in, in college and after. So I didn't really read novels much. I just a few um, when I was younger that were just for pleasure. And most of that was Star Wars novels. So like, you know, I didn't really branch out too much. And as far as Stephen King, like I had never, never read a Stephen King book. And um, I had gotten to this point where I was like, you know, I'm interested, like, what is the deal? What is this series about? And I remember probably early 2000s, like trying to like look it up online and trying to figure out like, what is this? What is it? And it's really difficult to explain. Um, and I think that at the time I sort of said, you know, this sounds too weird. I'm probably just never going to get into this, whatever. And then, I don't know, audiobooks sort of became more popular. And I mean, we had books on tape and everything, but I, you know, later in life, I had this day job where, you know, I have this commute and I have hours in the car every day. So it became like, okay, well I can like subscribe to audible or whatever. And, um, and just kind of go through these books. And if it takes me a few weeks or a month or whatever, then I don't care. Cause you know, if I don't feel like listening every day and, uh, and I sort of just casually was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll listen to the gunslinger. Sure. Why not? And, and that just was like, all right, well, why not continue? And even, even by book three, I think I hadn't decided whether or not I was going to finish the series for sure. Um, but of course I did. So I just literally took me 10 years probably, but I, cause I occasionally listened to them. I never wanted to like burn through the series. I don't like doing that anyway. I like savoring. And with these books, they're so long that, you know, I, I feel like, you know, it's good to have a break and then they feel special when you come, when you're feeling it, you know, you come back around to it. And that's sort of the experience, I think, in a, you know, more condensed version that people had when they were uh, fans of King as he was putting them out, because these books came out uh, with, with some serious years in between, especially the first few. Isn't that right, Rick? Yes. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> yes. You just got to uh, jump well, in anytime. Actually, anytime you can. Come well, and I, apo I, I apologize. I was actually looking up when the first one came out and it yeah. looks like it was 82 when the gunslinger first came out. Yeah. Um, and that's, a, 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 and I'm a pretty methodical guy. I like to, uh, you know, if there's an author that I really like or a band that I really like, um, I like to go back start from the beginning and read everything in order get all the triumph yeah exactly <laughs> and uh <laughs> and so i was already familiar with a lot of stephen king and i loved his horror stuff and i had heard he has had some stuff in his uh, bibliography that wasn't necessarily horror related so i wasn't sure if i was gonna like it and and for some reason I've never really cared for Westerns all that much, or at least I didn't when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, I've grown to like them now. So when I heard that it was like sort of horror, sort of sci-fi, sort of Western, I, for whatever reason, that sounded like a combination that wasn't going to appeal to me. Mm -hmm. um, but I read The Gunslinger and it was intriguing enough 
And, and similar to uh, some fantasy stuff that I already liked, you know, I had read like Lord of the Rings and, and Chronicles of Narnia and, and that sort of thing. So I liked fantasy. And even though this wasn't like sword and sorcery, it still had that kind of vibe to it a little bit. Right. Um, and so uh, I found it intriguing. I got to say, I don't think I was completely blown away by the gunslinger, but I liked it, liked it enough that I was like, okay, I'll read more of these. I got to see where this is going. That's uh, interesting. So same exact, I would say exactly my thought as well. Exact. Mm. You know, yeah. I wasn't like all in at all, but yeah. it's like, meh. Yeah. All right. That was kind of weird, but cool, I guess. And, you know, that one's short. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And I and I remember thinking this doesn't know what it wants to be. Right. You know what I mean? Like, is it a Western? Is it a fantasy? Is it some kind of post-apocalyptic road warrior kind of thing? Like, You right. know what I mean? It, it felt like this weird mishmash. Right. Um, right. And I feel like like you, I, I feel like it took two or three books for uh, the series to sort of come into his own and, and for me to be fully on board. Mm. Um, right. And uh, it, like it, at the beginning, especially uh, with that first one, very early in that book, I remember there was this one specific moment that made me go, I don't know if this is for me, like right away. And I sort of just put it out of my mind and got past it and whatever. And, um, you know, by the end of it, you sort of get it, you know, you get it that this, this world that we're seeing um, is like all other worlds bleed into it. So there are weird combinations of things that don't usually go together. Uh, that's why you have all the genre references that you mentioned. And there was one, the one scene, it's honestly probably in the first five pages um, of the, the gunslinger. And he walks into a bar, you know, you got this very just typical Western character yeah. and he walks into a bar and very casually, the narrator mentions that the piano player, the stock piano player that we always we always know is tinkling over there in the corner is playing. Do you remember what song he was playing? Yeah, he was playing Hey Jude, right? Hey Jude. Yeah. And I was like, uh, come on, King. And I, I just I'm like, he's playing the Beatles. OK, um, but that just sort of is a great example of what he's going for. And, and I think it's interesting that he sort of, that's like him ripping the bandaid off. You know, it's like, he's not yeah. going to, you know, he's not going to, to ease us into it. He's going to be like, okay, cowboy bar, the guy's playing the Beatles. Like what? Yeah. And, and, and right away you're like, well, wait a minute. Is this our world? Is it not our world? Right. Is this in the future? Is right. this an amalgamation? Like it, it only served right. to right. confuse me. Like right. it was kind of intriguing. Like, okay, what happened? Was there like a nuclear war? And right. then society built itself self up again and just sort of evolved into like an old West kind of society. And so some things remain like Beatles music or I don't know. It was very confusing, but intriguing enough to be like, yes. okay, let's see where this goes. And I, as a, as a, as a younger man, as a young kid, uh, did you, did you ever see the cartoon show Thundar the Barbarian? Yeah, I, yeah, I I remember it being on on Saturday mornings. I didn't watch it regularly, but I knew what it was. So what you just said is Thundar. So they didn't regress yeah. to Wild West. They regressed to sword and sorcery times, basically. Yeah. 
So they were, I remember it was the distant year 1994. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, they literally just regressed after, uh, I think, a comet hit and, uh, you know, cataclysm, you know, bad stuff. And uh, so that that is actually one of the things that I thought of at the time. Is this like Thunder? Yeah. It's what you just said, basically. You know, is it a post-apocalyptic? We've regressed. Um, and you just you just aren't sure for, I mean, the longest time. I feel like the entire first book, you just have no idea. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it's almost like, is, is this Earth? Is this another planet? Is this just some made-up fantasy realm like Middle Earth or what? You know, like, uh, right. yeah. Uh, and I and I'm sure that was uh, by design by King or who knows, maybe he was just going with the flow and hadn't even figured it all out himself. You know, based on so the versions that I read had um, some appendices uh, where King had a bunch of uh, like just his own thoughts about the writing of it. I mm-hmm. don't know if those were in the original text versions or if they were added for the audiobooks later. So I don't know if you you know what i'm talking about yeah i do remember i i remember reading the uh i guess you'd call it the original version in a paperback Mm -hmm. um oh man i don't even remember you know i didn't read it when it first came out in 82 i think i discovered it probably late 80s early 90s um and then that's one of the ones that i did reread when he when he sort of revised and updated the gunslinger i Mm reread that um but yeah, I, I I honestly don't remember, Steve. I think I think there was an introduction in the original version about, uh, you know, hey, this is a thing I've been working on for years, and uh, you know, it's going to be this long epic thing, and who knows if I'll ever finish it in my lifetime, that sort right. of thing. But but you know, he didn't even, he didn't give a lot of clues as to what was to come. Right. Um, well, I think based on uh, the parts that I'm talking about, some of some of these uh, like notes that he wrote. Um, it seems like he didn't know what, what the hell the story was. And uh, I think he yeah. does work a lot of that into the narrative because for those who haven't read these books, uh, it gets it basically does the ultimate meta thing of all time, which is he writes himself into the story. Um, so in the later books, the last two, he actually appears. And in the last book, he's, he's mentioned a lot. Um, and, uh, and he even worked mm. in his own accident where he almost died in 1999 uh, and, and basically worked that into the plot of it all. And uh, it's, it, it, I'm not sure if it's the most like, (laughs) if it's the most brilliant idea or just the most self-serving, like, you know, choking his own stroking his own ego. I don't, I don't know because I got to say there's, there's that movie lady in the water. Do you know this movie? I, I know it. I've, I know it's an M night uh, Shyamalama ding dong thing. I've never actually seen it, but it's, it's bad. Don't bother. Uh, but the, uh, the thing <laughs> that makes me, <laughs> the thing that makes me think of it is uh, he, uh, so M night Shyamalan wrote himself a character for that movie. This is one of the ones where he actually plays a more than just a cameo. He's actually kind of in the movies. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he is in the movie. It's not kind of in the movie and he's uh, he's a writer who it's revealed is going to someday go on to write a world changing book on the level of the Bible. (laughs) And I remember like so many people, myself included saying, Oh my God, what a head case, this guy, this freaking guy, are you kidding me with this shit? 
and you played the character yourself. Okay. So for me, I'm like, why do I hate that so much and not hate the Stephen King in the Dark Tower thing? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I will tell you that's the moment that I had. You mentioned, you know, when you read the first book and, and it said the piano player yeah. was, was playing Hey Jude and you were like, I don't know. Like, I remember that exact scene where we see it's him in the book and I yeah. literally out loud was like, oh, come on. <laughs> right. And, and I think reason being is it just took you right out of that world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. I mean, imagine if if Tolkien showed up in The Hobbit. You know what right. I mean? Like, it just takes you right out of this magic whole world and mythos that he's built. I mean, maybe Which Tolkien is. Like, maybe, maybe Tolkien was Tom Bombadil all along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it just I don't know. To me, it kind of brought things to a screeching halt. And yes, I get it you know, uh, that he's trying to say some things uh, metaphorically and stuff like that. But it just, I don't know. And, yeah. and far be it for me to criticize Stephen King, but I just thought it could have been handled a little bit more deftly without yeah. making himself a character in it. Right. I kind of was wondering if they were going to, because at first they just call him the writer. They just say the writer, the writer. Yeah. And at first I was like, oh, they're going to be classy about it. He's going to be classy about it. He's not going to say his name. He's just going to be, you know, it's just going to, he's just the writer. And you know, we get it. We know who the writer is. Okay. We know. Right. Yeah, I get you, Stevie. I get you there, buddy. And yeah. uh, then it's like, oh, no, no. It's, it's, and he, he talks about, he mentions all his kids and Tabitha and, you know, he's got to go pick up Owen at practice and, and, uh, you know, so it's 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 very weird. Uh, and I, I'm not going to say that I love it, but I'm not going to say that I hate it because I didn't hate it. Um, but it is a very, very weird thing. And he basically, you know, says that there is of all the, you know, this 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 concept of the multiverse. And that's something that Marvel movies are playing with right now. DC comics and Marvel comics have played with it for ages and there's lots of different books and lots of different movies that have dealt with this idea that there are other dimensions other versions of earth and um and this is you know all it is really and you're saying okay well of of all those millions of dimensions we don't know how many there are there is one linchpin universe where they're all hinging on and that is the dark tower universe where the dark tower itself is the thing holding it all together Mm -hmm. And then there's of the other earths, there's one like prime earth and they call it the keystone world. And that we're supposed to believe is ours. And the reason why we we are supposed to think that is because it's the one where Stephen King's in it as a writer and he writes the dark tower because none of the other ones does that happen. So it's fun. It's like, okay, well, I get it. We're the, we're the one world, we're the keystone world and it, whatever, but you know, it's weird and it's ballsy. I mean, it's it's ballsy as hell because I feel like him writing it, he had to have all these thoughts. He had to have these doubts. He had to feel like, are people going to hate me like a lot? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the worst I idea it, ever. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point in his career and even in that point in his career, who gives a shit? Who You're gives Stephen, a shit? Stephen yeah. fucking King. Yeah. Like you can basically do whatever you want. And if right. it's, if the experiment fails, it fails, yeah. but people are still going to buy your books. Right. And I think the other thing though, as true as that is, the other thing is I think at that point in his career, especially he's not worried about making money though. 
I don't think that he at this point makes books that he specifically thinks will sell. I think he's got everything he can need. And yeah, that, point, yeah, I think at, I think at this point, and really, I think always writing has been sort of a compulsion for him. You right, know, these right. these stories come to him, and he's got to get them down. He, yeah, he's he he could never he could retire and never write another book again. And he is him and his kids are set for life. Oh yeah, and I, so I think because of that, I think I would say that the Dark Tower is probably exactly the way he wants it because he wanted it to be that way, not because he thought it was going to make somebody happy or not, or sell more books or whatever. I think that had nothing to do with it. Um, and uh, maybe that is just why it's as weird as it is. And as weird as it is, it is also that unique. Uh, it's really hard to compare to anything. I mean, people do say it's like, like you said, it's like Lord of the Rings, but, but there's so many caveats to get it there. It's so different than Lord of the Rings, but you can start with that. You can be like, well, it's this big sweeping journey. So, all right, so let's, let's do this. So um, we get a little structure in this episode. So there are four, uh, no, no, sorry, seven main Dark Tower books. Mm-hmm. And I've just finished the last two. I read them straight through. The only two I read in a row because um, I really felt like, okay, these need to be finished. I need to just be done with the series and, and move on. Yeah. And um, so let's just kind of go through each one, one at a time. We just talked about the Gunslinger a little bit. And uh, we'll just talk about like what we remember and what we kind of liked and, you know, basic plot stuff. No big deal. Um, And then we'll get to the last book and have some final thoughts. That sound okay? Yeah, sure. Steve. Cool. So real quick, uh, just basic idea is we have this man who we said is like a stock cowboy character and his name is Roland DeShane. And he has in the first book, one main quest, which uh, I feel like they sort of wanted us to forget that he wasn't searching for the dark tower at first. He was searching for the man in black, Mm. Uh, very famous opening line to the first book. Uh, Everybody I think knows, which is, uh, well, you know, I want to say it exactly. I'm probably going to paraphrase it and get it slightly wrong, but the, uh, damn it. Well, it's basically the man in black fled across the desert and the, the gunslinger followed basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, that's basically it. Pretty much. So, um, so he's, he's, he's chasing this man in black. We know nothing about either one of them. And Roland is a uh, very hard, uh, hardened guy. He's Clint Eastwood esque. He's not really, um, a fun, nice guy. He's, he's, uh, almost humorless for the whole series. I think he has like one joke. He says, you know, he's very, very tough nut to crack just overall. And it's, it's even like, uh, something King had said where at the end of the first book, even he didn't really like him. You know, he's like, I don't know what the hell will people even want to follow another book with this guy? Is he just unlikable or but uh, so basically that's the setup of the first book. You know, he's searching for the man in black uh, across this sort of, you know, deserty type place. And he he comes to this town, the small, very stock, very basic Western stock town that we've seen in a million other movies. Obviously, we mentioned the piano player in the corner goes up to the bar orders his uh his his drink and um and just kind of sets sets us into like oh this is a western this is just a western and then it just sort of changes so what do you what do you remember of uh like just basic plot stuff uh after that like he he gets to this bar what 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 are your memories of uh of this book because it's been a while for me too 
Yeah, and and it's literally been been at least a decade or more since I've read The Gunslinger, but I do remember, you know, sort of taking it all in. Um, I and I, I remember definitely uh, thinking, okay, this is a western, but also it had the tone of uh, of any, you know, pick a post apocalyptic apocalyptic film. Yes. I mean, I always go straight to Road Warrior or Mad Max just because of the desert landscape. Yeah. Um, and the sort of, you know, something cataclysmic happened here feel. And there's still, you know, ragged shards of what was that are sort of, you know, duct taped back together. into yeah. nice. something that you sort of remember. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love yeah. that. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, Stephen King has always said that one of his inspirations, his main inspiration was Clint Eastwood in those spaghetti Westerns that he did. And if you've ever seen any of those, you know, the man with no name, uh, that character, you know, good, the bad, the ugly, those movies. Mm -hmm. um, and they're all shot in the Spanish desert, which definitely does have that sort of post-apocalyptic look to it. So yeah. I can totally see uh, how that got uh, King's wheels turning into something beyond a Western. So I kind of liked that aspect of it. Um, and then I remember the... Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, if this isn't in the first book, Steve, but the uh, the Battle of Tull, the uh, the town where the uh, the town kind of uh, all kind of rallies up against him. Wow. Uh, I do remember the name Tull now that you say it. Maybe. So is that the town that he comes to in that at the beginning? That's the town that he comes to. And, I, and again, I may very well be mixing up my books because it's been years, but um you know, there was a whole uh, scene where, you know, at first it, it's one of those very typical uh, Western scenes where he's in the saloon and tensions are high and you don't know who's friend and who's foe. And, you know, something's going to happen eventually, but you don't know when and you don't know what. And is it going to be a shootout or what? You are. You are right. That is that yeah. is the name of the town that he comes to in the first book. And there are all these reasons we don't have to get into exactly. But, yeah, sure. you know, you are right on that. Yeah. 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 It, it, uh, it really, that, that opening, that opening section with Tull, I thought was, was just very good. And, uh, kind of what you said where you were younger, you didn't really like Westerns. Same with me. And I love them now. I I'm a big fan of them now. I love, uh, Western uh, movies and books and I love my favorite of all time is weird Western. So any Western that has, uh, anything that's like, could be construed as horror or supernatural or, you could even say sci-fi. Anything that doesn't belong is called a weird Western. And uh, this is feels this book feels like a weird Western. The rest of the, the series goes in so many directions. It doesn't really. But um, but yeah, this one does in that opening tall section uh, very much feels like a just straight up Western. Um, the only thing that makes it weird is we learn a little bit more about this man in black that he's chasing. And he had uh, inter uh, he had beat him to tall beat Roland to tall by only like a few days. And knew that he was on his heels. So he sort of turned Tull into like a landmine. Um, yeah. And I don't want to say more than that. But so so Roland has to like deal with what's going on there. And you're right. Tull like turns on him and they have all that. Uh, I'm just kind of reading some synopsis stuff, but I'm remembering now. Yeah. So sure. then he goes back on the, the out in the de desert and he is going to keep on chasing the, the just, I, I don't believe the man in black has a name until maybe he's named at the end. His, his first name that we get. Yeah. Walter. I, yeah. I believe is yep. first named. Uh, yeah. 
at the very, very end, it does have one of those ultimate ends that are, uh, it's the suspension of, uh, no, no, it's the, uh, what's the word, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? The, uh, uh, su- subverting your expectations. It's, it subverts your expectations. Yeah, like, yeah. You expect this big shootout at the end of the book. You're like a hundred percent. The whole book's telling you, yes, that's what's going to happen. And then of course it, it just doesn't end like that. But the, um, so he goes, he leaves tall. He has many adventures. I think we can condense it to, uh, the main important thing is he comes across a uh, a young boy, and his name is Jake Chambers, and Jake yep. Chambers is weirdly, inexplicably from Earth, from New York City, and he's from the uh, I think he's from the seventies. I think he I think he he came from the seventies. I could be wrong on that, uh, but I think he was from the seventies. Yeah, and I, I think per- perhaps in the original version of it, Steve, the 70s, and then I think in the revised version, maybe the 80s. Well, so for sure, Eddie was from the 80s. Yeah. And I think everybody was from a different... I think it was Susanna was 60s. I think they each had their own yep. decade for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so he, uh, he you know, gains a, a little buddy. And uh, this boy is just uh, inexplicably in this world that he doesn't recognize. So this is the first point in it where you're like, oh, there are other dimensions. And this kid is just from early. He's from New York, like weird. And then, you know, they kind of have their adventures still chasing uh, the man in black. And then uh, the only spoiler I will give is that Jake uh, dies and you're really, really not expecting it at all. You know, and he has this other famous line. Uh, you know, I won't say how he dies, but he he gets killed and, and he, uh, you know, he presents Roland with a choice. Roland could have saved him or he could. But he yeah. was almost almost going to catch the men in black finally. And he was right on his heels and he was right around the corner and he could have turned around and saved Jake. And instead, he chose to say, sorry, Jake, I got to get this guy. And so Jake has this very famous la- line. uh you you remember the line, right? Yeah, it's uh, and again, I'll, I'll probably end up paraphrasing. That's our paraphrasing. The effect, yeah, something to the effect of "Go then, there are other worlds than these." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're not paraphrasing that. That that's the line. Go then, there are other worlds than these, which really feels so out of character. Like, what a strange thing for a boy to say, anyway. That's so past his years and so strange. For him to say that, and I yeah. always felt like it really but, stuck but in my also, but, Yeah, but also kind of, kind of was in line with the sort of weird, murky mysteriousness of the whole thing. I do agree. I mean? Like yes. you know, like here's this boy from New York, and now all of a sudden there's this weird, like interdimensional time travel aspect mm-hmm. of the story and like yeah right. he's like a nine-year-old kid but he's also kind of like this wise old philosopher in that last know? moment before he yeah got, yeah I, the way i read it i think not at the time but have since looked back on that scene and the way i read it now i should say is that it almost feels like in that last moment he gets this cosmic clarity where yeah. he's able to connect to more information that he should and he just su- suddenly becomes this wise old man for a second. And then he just, he just dies. Um, and so, yeah, and, and, and I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. And I think, you know, that scene and also the battle of Tull and, and, and I don't want to give too much away about the battle of Tull, but that's, those are two of the scenes where you really don't like Roland, but right. you, get, you get a little insight into just how driven 
driven to the point of obsession and maybe even madness with this quest of his. Yes. That, you know, and, and it's not that he doesn't regret some of the terrible things that happened that maybe he caused, like the death of Jake and the and the and what happens in Tull. But in the end, he, you know, he justifies it or is able to compartmentalize it by saying, I need to finish this quest. I right. need to find the man in black. And I think they, uh, you know, as, as time goes on, you've, you learn like, and this is why I felt like we had to mention Jake's death is because it, if we're going to describe what happens in later books, I mean, we just sort of have to, but, Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so full, you know, lots of spoilers in this episode, if, if it's not clear, but we're not going to give everything away at all. So if you aren't a fan or if you're considering reading this, this book series, I wouldn't say that we're going to make it. So it's pointless to read the series. I mean, the, we're talking about like, yeah, every, I mean, there's there's so uh what is it 4316 total pages to the series yeah it it is a deep and rich world so the fact that you know two idiots on a podcast are giving you the bullet points that's not it doesn't even come close to capturing it so by all means read it if you haven't absolutely and then so he you know roland gets to what we assume is going to be this big shootout with the man in black and instead they uh he's kind of sitting there uh at a campfire and he says, Hey, Roland, how's it going, man? Come, why don't you come sit down and we'll, uh, we'll talk. We'll have a, a palaver as the book loves to say. Yeah. And it, yeah. And then, and that's another point where, uh, when I was reading the original book, another, what the fuck is this moment? Cause like, Oh my <laughs> yeah. God, Oh my God, Oh my God, here's the big conclusion. And yeah. it's a conversation. Yeah. Very strange. <laughs> and it's not even a good conversation as far as like, you know, it's a good conversation to dissect philosophically. It's yeah, but it's one of those weird, deep. like almost a conversation when you'd have when you're high. Like, yes. What if the earth was a molecule in the thumb of another giant being? And there were all these different, you know, it was like that kind of conversation. Have like, you ever seen the movie Men in Black? At the end, we're like, <laughs> we're all just marbles. Like, yeah, yeah like it's that. Like, 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 what does it all mean, man? <laughs> <laughs> what if we're marbles? um 100 yeah. <laughs> man like it's it's very much like a high conversation this is really funny um yeah. and and the book just sort of ends and uh roland falls asleep and uh you kind of yeah. get the impression that walter probably uh did something and like maybe he's a wizard we're not quite sure he's really ill-defined and um and then roland just sort of wakes up and walter's bones are at the side of the campfire and he gets the impression that he's been asleep for a hundred years. That's, that's what he believes. Yeah. And he's like, well, shit, I, uh, I got nothing left. I guess yeah. I'm going to go walk onto the beach and the, 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 the book ends. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and I think my, my overall takeaway from that first book, Steve was, okay, this is interesting enough. It's fucking weird, but it's yep. interesting enough where I kind of want to see where this goes. Me too, yes. And I yeah, think yeah. you get a little bit more insight into Roland. I think, it, you know, for the first part of the Gunslinger, the first book, he's sort of one-dimensional. Um, and yes. then you get a little bit more insight. And, and it's almost like there are times where he sort of comes off as like a Jedi Knight almost, you know. Uh, he's a, a force for good, chasing down this man in black, and he's, you know, trying to right things, blah, 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 bring balance to the force, if you will. Uh, but then he's also a very flawed character in some of the choices that he makes and some of his ruthlessness. So, 
Um, you know, there's a lot there. There's a lot more depth to him than you are led to believe. And by the end of the book, you're like, okay, I don't know if I like this guy, but I'm interested to see what he does next. I agree. I think that he is the the, the strength of Roland's character, good and bad, is why I also uh, continued. To- to read. I'm like, well, I do want to see what happens to this guy because I know that there are six more books and uh, it looks like there's nothing left to do. So for all of the talk later in later books that his quest has always been for the Dark Tower, I feel like that was something that King figured out later. Now, I know the book was, was always called the Dark Tower, the Gunslinger, but I mean, I, it, he wasn't looking for the damn Dark Tower. He was looking for the man in black. And there's this there's this retcon in the, in the very very last like couple sentences of the final book, and I feel like he just sort of was trying to smooth it over and fix the fact that that was uh, it was different in that first book. I think he just figured it out later, but he does decide that he's going to. I think in that conversation, I think Walter first mentions the Dark Tower. I don't think I don't think there was any mention of it before that. I could be wrong, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, it's, it's almost sure. like. Yeah, Stephen King was was like, oh, by the way, there's a dark tower and he's going to find it. Right. <laughs> because because the, the the other big inspiration was the uh, Robert Browning poem, Child Roland to the Dark Tower Came, which is mentioned yep. exhaustively later in the final book and is uh, is actually in the uh, there's there's an appendix of just that it's included in the audiobook. I assume it's included in the text. Yeah, they, they reprint the whole poem. Yeah. Yeah, the whole poem. And it's this uh, very archaic poem it's uh i don't know i think it i think it's like 100 years old but it feels older um it's like using old language uh it's it almost yeah. makes me feel of like this is beowulf times is this how old is this right it's not that old yeah um but uh you know and and there are things in there that he worked into the final book there are things from some of the stanzas that are construed into scenes in that final book one one or two characters and different things, but the basic just idea of this child Roland to the dark tower came and And so he's like, well, I'm going to write this story. And like, Hey Jude, the poem ends up being justified and bleeding through and uh, being a part of something because something that you see is, is that things that happen in uh, the world of Roland Deshane, the world of, you know, mid world as he calls it. And then there are, it's also end world. And there's also all these connected places that at the beginning, I wasn't even sure if it, if they really connected like a physical place or if they were dimensions too. like is thunderclap a place you can take a train to. Like, I, I just wasn't quite sure, but it seems like they are a physical world. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Uh, well, that's okay. Yeah, no, again, just just another uh, testament to this weird mist that sort of hovers over the whole thing. This mm-hmm. surrealism where you don't know what's real, you don't know, right? Uh, you know what's a what's mythical, what's an actual place, what's you know right. some other dimension, that sort of thing. It really it, it really keeps you on your toes and keeps you second guessing everything. Right. So I guess what, my point was going to be that things that happen in Midworld. Uh, where Roland is can bleed to other dimensions in weird ways. Like something could be an actual physical person here or a, a, an event here. And it becomes like a song in another world, or it becomes a book in another world. Right. Um, or a Robert Browning poem. Right. Um, so just kind of interesting. And that, that comes into play. I don't think they really mentioned that in book two 
But in book three, it's very much driven down our throats. So we'll yeah. we'll get there. So Dark Tower two, you want to you want to take this one? Yeah. So that's called the the drawing of the three, um, and uh, it picks up immediately where the gunslinger uh, ended. And Roland is on a beach, and uh, he is uh, soon surrounded by what uh, what King calls lobstrosities. Yes, uh, which are sort of these weird uh, crab lobster hybrid, uh, larger than our version of crabs and lobsters, and they're crawling on the beach, and uh, they have this weird little uh, repeating uh, call that they do, which sounds yes. like da da chi, da da chum, or something like that. Yes, da da chi. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Roland ends up losing a couple of digits. I couldn't believe it. I know. It's like, dude, he's a gunslinger and he lost his trigger finger. I just like unbelievable. He goes yeah. from two guns down to one gun in, in the beginning of book two. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and, and for some reason, you know, he kind of, he dispatches, you know, some of the lobstrosities and then he comes upon, uh, some doors. Just, you know, random doors floating <laughs> on the beach. Like Alice in Wonderland shit. Just yeah, the exactly. most yeah, bizarre. Like, you know, yeah. App- apparitions, if you will. And uh, summons um, uh, two of uh, what will become his quartet. Um, that would yes. be uh, Eddie Deshane's. And uh, in this book, she's known as Odetta, right? Yeah. Well, she starts out as uh, Odetta. Yeah. Odetta yeah. Holmes. Yeah, it's a uh, it's Eddie, uh, not Chambers. That's Jake. It's uh, sorry. You yeah. said to Shane. Uh, what's what's yeah. his last name? Eddie. Uh, yeah, of course, we can't think of it. All I yeah. can think of is Casprack, but that's yeah. that's the wrong <laughs> wrong Stephen King, Eddie. Um, anyway, continue. I'll, I'll look up his last name. Yeah, well, and then uh, he, uh, you know, we sort of learn their backstories where Eddie is Eddie Dean is his last Eddie name. Dean. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's a heroin addict. He's struggling cocaine for this mob guy. Uh, meanwhile, Odetta Holmes, she's a black woman with uh, a personality disorder, uh, sort of like schizophrenia. She's active in the civil rights movement, but you know, there's sort of, there's two personalities within her. There's Detta and then there's Odetta. Um, and she's from the sixties. Yeah, and she's from the 60s. Um, and then there's a uh, the third door uh, leads uh, roll into a guy named Jack Mort, who is like this sociopath guy. And he we find out that um, he's the guy that pushed Jake Chambers into traffic, causing him to die and appear in Roland's world in the first gunslinger. It's all, it's weird. This one, I think, is the weirdest one in terms of like, I don't know what kind of world this is. All of a sudden there's teleporting yeah. and time yeah. traveling and there's different decades and very weird. Uh, yeah. and, a, and a lot of it is spent with Roland as a passenger because when he goes through the door, he, he like essentially is he, he almost quantum leaps into the person. So either Eddie or Odetta or uh, Jack and, um, and he, he just is kind of watching what they did. He's just sort of watching. It's yeah. like the weirdest of all the books, in my opinion. The drawing of the well, three. I think it's you, so strange. Yeah. And, and But looking back on it, it's actually pretty clever, a, a pretty clever device on the part of Stephen King. I mean, to get to know these two characters that are going to play huge roles for the rest of the series, uh, you quite literally get inside their minds. Yes. Um, so in terms of a narrative device, it's it's pretty clever. Again, it's not 
one of my favorite books of the series because, it, you know, despite the fact that you take these journeys through the doors, it feels like the whole thing takes place on a beach. Yeah. It, <laughs> and it, it kind of does. Yeah. In Roland's world, it does. He yeah. never really gets off that beach, I don't think, in yeah. the entire book. But um, yeah. one, one thing I'll correct you just for the super fans that might be listening. Um, oh, yeah. So, so Jack Mort uh, was the pusher of not Jake, but uh, Odetta. Right. He was, okay. He was the reason why. So one of the things we, we left out is that Odetta is actually missing her legs. Yes. So she's in a wheelchair. She's paraplegic, but it's because her legs are missing. They're, they're cut right. off. Yes. And that's right. um, okay. she, she had been pushed as a young girl in front of a train uh, and they, the, the legs were severed. And, and this was uh, this, it turns out it's this guy, Jack, uh, uh, the guy who pushed Jake, we do learn is actually the man in black. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, for the obsessives that are listening, listen, I ain't no expert. I'm just a guy who happens to live in Maine and has read all the yeah. Stephen King books. That's no, it. no, I'm, I, that's really just for, for Brandon Powers. If he happens yeah. to be listening and he's going to be on my ass about that. So uh, there, that's yeah. for you, Brandon. Uh, but I think that uh, I think, you know, that that sort of encapsulates that book, right? Like it's very yeah. weird. It's this like deus ex machina, the, the, the book basically. And yeah, later uh, King sort of, he even talks about deus ex machina as a device mm-hmm. in the later books. And, he, and it's sort of like his way of saying, okay, yeah, that is what I did. Yeah. But I'm just going to say it's Ka. And in this world, <laughs> you can chalk anything up to Ka, just like yeah. in Star Wars, everything's the force. Right. And uh, in Wakanda, everything is vibranium. Uh, in this, right. everything is Ka. So it's basically fate. That's, that's just what it is. Just yeah. basically yeah fate destiny so so yeah I, yeah i i think we're in agreement here steve not the best book of the series definitely one of the weirdest of the series but a fine introduction to uh two of the people that are going to play a huge role in the rest of the series yes yes very uh like the story of eddie the story of Susanna uh or odetta as she is yeah. at the beginning is uh is great i think i think odetta's uh you know maybe the best character overall in the, in the series i think she's um she's really really well written and the the fact that she went through everything that she did as a black woman in the 60s she was a victim of the serial murderer basically but she survived and and um and then she she she's also a, a schizophrenic and and everything but she she grows and learns as a character so so much and becomes so much more than where she was, what she was. And that's really pretty much everybody does because, but Eddie's place is he's a heroin addict. So as a heroin addict, he gets over that and grows and is, is able to do it in a world without heroin. So it's almost like, yeah, that's great too. But is it as great? No, because if he had had heroin, he would have taken it, you know, at least at the beginning, you know, he had no choice, but to get clean. And then he sort of, you know, outside of his world with all his enablers, he was able to grow and become a better person and whatever. But I really think that um, with Susanna, as she's later called, it's so hard for me to call her Odetta. Odetta becomes, uh, so basically, you know, Detta is, 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 I want to say, I don't want to say she's evil, but she's like the tough one. That's like the antagonistic one of the two of them. And Odetta yeah, is certainly like the darker aspect of the her dark, personality. Yeah. Yes. The darker half for sure. And Odetta is, uh, is, is the nicer one. Yeah. And 
by the end of it, she she's able to sort of merge the two. And she says, I want my name to be Susanna. And so she's now a third person who is like shades of the two and more mm-hmm. balanced. And mm-hmm. uh, but she's she's great. And it also made me feel like, OK, within this book, you're telling me you just hobbled the main character who's a gunslinger. You took away his trigger finger on one of his hands. So he went from two guns to one gun yeah. and you introduced a character like on a beach in a desert wasteland type planet, whatever, as far as we know, we've not seen much other than that. Uh, that's in a wheelchair and then the wheelchair breaks and they just have to carry her. It's like, how the hell is this going to work? Yeah. By the way, Steve, Steve, let me, let me go back to something we were talking about. Oh yeah, please. I'm on the Wikipedia page right now. This guy, Jack Mort responsible for both accidents the uh the pushing of so we were both so right. we were both oh, right yes he is okay. he is the guy that pushes jake chambers into traffic and he's also responsible for uh suzanna slash is, so now i'm movement. wondering yeah was he possessed by walter when he pushed jake because i really feel like walter was the one who did it i like yeah. i i it's sticking in my head like i really think that but, that Maybe. Yeah, that and that I don't know. And as we learn later on in the series, you know, Walter and the, the man in black and Randall Flagg are all, you know, and the Crimson King, they're all the same thing. Yeah, they're, they're shades of, you know, the, well, the Crimson King separate, but the other ones are all supposedly yeah, right. the same guy. You know, it's very strange. Right, right, right. But OK, yeah. so book that's pretty much book two where he assembles his yeah. team and, uh, you know, yeah. they eventually uh, are called the Cotet, which is just a basically a term for family it's like we are bonded we're blood brothers yeah or it's a, 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 a it's a group that is uh, brought together by fate yes yeah yes and uh so so that sort of happens later and and in the third book um we get to meet the the final well there there's there's two more members of the quartet and i think they both join in book three book three um, so book, uh, let's, let's, let's go back to the, uh, the years these books were put out. So the, the gunslinger 1982 drawing of the three was 1987 and dark tower three, the wastelands was 1991. And this is a much longer book. The first one was t- uh, 224 pages. Second one was 400. This one's 512. Um, so this is like a pretty freaking long book. And he, yeah. uh, it has parts that made me think like, man, this could have been a whole book and he could have split it and whatever. But the first big part is we get back Jake. That's really yep. like, you know, so this journey of like getting back Jake because Roland's been having dreams and, and he, he, this is where we really see how much that choice of letting the boy die has really affected him. And he, it did not yeah. sit well with him. He thought he could justify it. He thought he could say, no, it's worth it. It's all, it's all for my quest. And, uh, and he just, it, 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 it's just not sitting well with him. He feels terrible about it. It's just killing him inside. But also we learned that there is another Jake Chambers on a different earth who was not pushed into the street by Jack Mort and was, you know, is, is, is still alive, but he he's having dreams about his own death. So you, you, you see yeah. different versions of people in different worlds are actually somehow connected. Mm. And so, so he is sort of feeling like there's this world that's pulling him in its direction. And Roland is feeling like there's 
a, a boy in another world like Jake is alive somewhere and he's got to find him. So they're sort of like trying to find each other. And along the way is easily one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. That's the thing. This book has like two of my favorite things of all. And the first mm-hmm. and I think this is my favorite book, The Wastelands. Um, OK. And the the first big thing. So what's great, we, we get to see them teaching Eddie and Susanna to be gunslingers. That's that's happening mm-hmm. along the way, which is just great. Um, yeah. But we get we get to fight Shardik. Right. Yes. Shardik. Um, uh, Shardik. Yeah. What is it? I think. Uh, is it Shadrick Shardik? I can't remember. I think it's Shardik, but he's basically uh, he's this giant robot bear <laughs> and he's huge. He's like a Godzilla sized bear with yeah, a satellite. Yeah, Shardik. You're right, Steve. Shardik. Yeah. With, with, a, with a satellite dish on his head. And it's just great because we learn about the beams for the first time. And this is where we're really learning more about the Dark Tower. And we're like, OK, officially, for sure, Roland is searching for the Dark Tower tower he's trying to get there it's the center of all existence and he's trying to get there i believe the original reason given was because he's trying to make sure it doesn't fall because the world was moving on as they say which meant that there was some problem at the dark tower where worlds were unraveling and Mm -hmm. time was becoming strange and things were bleeding into each other more than they should and they really showed you that in this, this third book. And there was this concept I love where they, uh, they talked about thinnies and they were like an area that you would get to and you'd hear this strange sound and it was the sound of worlds colliding and uh, you, things would bleed in. And I remember they, uh, they actually found part of the stand world. There was like a, like a, I don't know, like a gas station or something. And there was a, a newspaper holder and in it it talked about the super flu yeah and it was almost like you would you would come upon these thinnies and it was almost like you could warp somewhere else yeah um, if you hung out by the thinny long enough or if you stepped into the wrong place right right and i just i love that idea and i'm like starting to understand more about what it is and so then they said okay well so you have the dark tower uh at the center and then there are these these beams there are these beams that go out from it in all directions and there are beam guardians that are animal spirits or something mm-hmm. and there are uh, the beam they say basically if we follow one of the beams it will take us to the dark tower that's the best way we can get there and you can't really yeah. see the beam but he says you can sort of see it a little bit if you look up and i just sort of pictured it like remember those those uh like 3d uh, pictures that you'd stare at in like the eighties and they'd be like, no, it'll be a jet. Just keep looking. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of like what, what it made me think of like, just sort of look up there and kind of like, I don't know, blur, blur your vision a little bit and see how the clouds are kind of yeah, and like, uh, and, and like the, the clouds would sort of point that way yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Right. And so then they're like, all right, we, we found the beam. We got to follow the beam and it'll take us to the dark tower. And this is the beginning of book three. And they are following that goddamn beam until book seven, you know, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so along the way, they, they end up fighting uh, the beam guardian of that beam. It's the beam of the bear. And it's this, this giant monster robot bear shardic. And it's just easily one of my favorite parts of the whole series. I love monsters. It's always been my thing. 
Yeah. And uh, I, I love that. I love Shardick. He's great. Well, and I, and I don't know if you know this, Steve, but this, this is where one of the first instances where we see references to other fictional works being incorporated into the Dark Tower. Right. Um, Shardick is a novel by a guy named Richard Adams. I don't know if you ever read Watership Down. I never did, but I do. I do know the story, but tell the story. Yeah. So uh, another novel that he wrote in 1974 is called Shardick, and it is about uh, the discovery, capture and uh, military and symbolic uses made of a big giant bear called Lord Shardick. So uh, that is a deliberate reference by Stephen King to this other work by um, Richard Adams, um, the bear in his book is not mechanical, but it's like, again, it's another instance of those, like, you know, walking into a bar and hearing snatches of, Hey Jude, it's like, wait, right. this sort of thing from a Richard Adams novel, but it's not quite the same thing, but like, yeah, yeah, but it's a bear. Yeah. <laughs> and when they, when they defeat the bear and I won't say how they do it, but they go inspect the, the carcass. And I think that's when they realize for sure it's definitely a robot. Yeah. And there's a there's a label on the robot and like a like a label manufacturer label, basically. And and that's, I think, the first time we ever hear North Central Positronics, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is yeah. this mysterious company that we don't know much about until I feel like you understand it all by the end. But it's just this mysterious company that maybe once existed and used to make robots. And you, they, they do say that this is an ancient machine this Shardick bear, this, this yeah. giant bear. Yeah. And it even says like guardian Shardick. series sh model Shardick. And it's like, yeah, what you guys just yeah, manufactured so Godzilla's like, it's, yeah, it's sort of the, uh, the Stark industries of the dark tower. World. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's just, it's very, very interesting, interesting. And you're like, wow, I don't know. Every time I think I know what's going on, you know, King just is, is just messing with me so hard. So I think the first part you're really dealing with, you know, we, we get past Shardick and then they they do this whole thing. We don't got to describe everything, but they get Jake into the world. Do you want to talk about uh, I love the, the guardian that Jake has to deal with? Do you want to talk about that at all? I honestly don't remember, Steve. Yeah. I know I know the different, uh, you know, guardians of the beams, but I can't remember the one that uh, they had to deal with. Uh, it was so on Jake's side, we get to see him. He's drawn to this strange house. It looks abandoned. He goes in the house. He could feel there's something wrong here. And it's because there is a door to Midworld in this house because there are doors exactly like they exist in Narnia. Same exact thing. And, and he never really mentions Narnia, I don't think by name, but I do feel like that's what he was going for. Um, but he, you know, like the wardrobe, right? The wardrobe was a door. Yeah. Just yep. randomly. Yeah. And there are other doors in Narnia that are things that don't make any sense. Like the in the third Narnia book, it's a painting. And one of, one of them, it's a, a, a like a bench waiting for the bus becomes a door randomly. It wasn't always a door, mm -hmm. but it became a door. And like, so there's stuff like that. But this, this sort of feels like that. But there's this door. But this one is not random. It's, it's absolutely a, a specific place in time and space. And it's a, uh, it, there's, there's been a, a monster that has been installed to defeat it, uh, to defend it, I should say. And it's this basically, it's the house itself. So when he goes in, the beams of the house form a creature, forms a face, forms uh, like, I think, hands and the whole like all the timbers of the house actually come to life 
and try to eat him, try to kill him. And it's 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 interesting. This was actually in that Dark Tower movie. Uh, I mean, that movie was so condensed. I don't really want to get into it, but this scene is in that um, mm. the same exact thing. The, the boards come to life, make a face. Um, and there is actually a cover of the of the Wastelands that shows uh, that actually depicts this scene. It's it's the cover. Um, uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's I don't know what it says. First edition cover, but it's Jake fighting this incredibly yeah. evil looking face. But it's all made yeah. of boards. Yeah, Very cool. I liked that. But so on the other, so he's dealing with this, and on the other side we have the Roland and his group are trying to open the door from their side and Jake's trying to open it from his side. And when they both do it, then he can pass through. And um, I think suffice it to say they do that. <laughs> yeah. And he gets through and, uh, and then, and then we go on to like the second half of the book, which is why I feel like that could have been the end of the book. Yeah, for sure. And then, the next part could have been the wastelands. Like this could have been, you know, you know, Shardick and then like, you know, I don't know, getting Jake. And then, and then the next part is the wastelands because the wastelands aren't really in it to the very last little bit. Yeah. Um, but so, okay. So what, what's the back half of this book all about? Because it's about what we can condense it into one character, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Basically the second half of the book is a long train ride. <laughs> yeah. Getting to that train. Yeah, on, on this uh, this train, which is actually a monorail, um, and uh, it's uh, equipped with an artificial intelligence um, and uh, calls itself Blaine the Mono. Yes. Um, and it's sort of, you know, in my head, Steve, I was always picturing uh, the voice of the computer on the old Star Trek series. Oh, you know, oh yeah. When they would be like computer analyzed and they would be like analyzing. I have found this blah, 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 except in a more in a male sinister tone. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it had this had this very formal, very stilted way of speaking. Um, Didn't they Wayne say Napano. that he sounded like John Wayne? Oh, I don't know. I think that they said that Eddie said that it reminded him of John Wayne. Hmm. I could be wrong, but I think. That... Well, at, at any rate, the, the yeah. main uh, sort of plot line with this second half of the book is the the because of years and years of neglect, this sort of artificial intelligence is has basically gone insane. Yes. And so Blaine the Mono says he is going to derail himself. Um, and all of the passengers on board, which at this point is Roland and Jake and Susanna and Eddie, um, unless. Oh, and one um, more. We did. Early, we did meet the final member. Yes. Oh, and Oi. Yes. Yes. The Billy Bumbler, who's yes. just in there for all the doggo fans. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, there's this there's this dog that is sort of like a Jack Russell Terrier, uh, but can also like kind of sort of talk like a parrot sometimes and he's a, and he's a very good boy i think we should yes. mention that he's a very oh, good boy sure yeah very yeah. good boy. yeah so anyway they're all <laughs> on the train blaine the motto and he's he's uh, clearly an insane robot conductor kind of thing and uh he threatens to derail the train with all of them aboard unless they can beat him in a riddling contest <laughs> so weird yeah. again another one of those moments in the dark tower where you're like what the fuck is going on here yeah yeah but it's and not 
well enough and intriguing enough that you're like, all right, this is weird. Let's see where it's going. Right. And there's, I mean, that's another uh, case, just like the Narnia doors that I feel like, okay, he's, he's absolutely referencing, you know, the scene in the Hobbit with Gollum, but uh, he doesn't really come out and say it. And I think that that's okay that he doesn't spell out every one of his references. It's fine. Yeah. Because he does, he does, I think, spell out the, the Shardic thing. I think Eddie remembers it or something that there was a book. Uh, and he's like, he's like, why do I always, why do I keep thinking rabbits? Why do I keep thinking rabbits with this name Shardick? And it's because he wrote the same guy wrote Watership Down, which is all about the rabbits. Mm-hmm. But in this, I don't think they they bother to really link it to the Hobbit. But it's like, okay, this is it's it's a contest of riddles. Come on, so okay, yeah. but it's fine. It's what the book does. It's what the series does. Well, and then. Um... And I like that because I always liked it when we got uh, little snatches uh, into Roland's childhood and the sort of um, Arthurian world of the gunslingers and the sort of feudal. Yeah, we haven't really talked about that, like the ancient world of where Roland comes from. But that, yeah, why don't you talk about that? That's well, it's I think pretty interesting. Yeah. And it and it's clearly uh influenced by the king arthur mythos yes and and the gunslingers are essentially knights um who sort of sort of protectors of the realm again almost like jedi knights in star wars right um and then you know there was a whole feudal society with you know uh, castles and 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 uh you know barons and things like that and um and you find out that there was this festival every year you know some sort of harvest festival and one of the highlights was the riddling contest and uh roland just happened to be uh, a big winner in that contest one year so uh he's all about the riddles which is very out of character so you really just it takes you by surprise it's a layer to the character you yeah. just are not expecting yeah, so not only do you get a little bit of insight into the 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 world that he came from, but a little bit more insight into his character, and he's not just this stone faced Clint Eastwood type. There's uh, there's more going on there, right? And there's a line that he repeats a few times in this third book that always stuck with me. It's one of my favorite lines. It's uh, it's just a really smart way of describing something that's indescribable, which is like how do you how do you uh, get good at thinking about riddles. How do you answer riddles? And, and the way that uh, he described it to Eddie was you have to think around corners. He, he kept saying yeah. that he said it like two or three times because, because Eddie was like the jokester and he always had his, his, you know, incessant quips and, you know, Roland put up with him, but he, he kind of hated it for a while. And uh, cause he's just so yeah. serious. And he's it, such and a serious character, but it, and, and the way that that is handled is done so well by King, because that could be one of those scenes where it's like, OK, this train is they're all going to die unless they answer these riddles. And, oh, right. conveniently, this one guy is an expert at riddles. Right. Like in, in lesser hands, that could have made you just throw the book across the room. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, that it still could because it is very convenient. It's very contrived. But I think a lot of the series ha- is like that. It has these moments, just like just like the doors appearing conveniently, you know, and, and different things. Yeah. Like, I, I think that uh, that is something that I had to get over. And it is also something that prevented me from truly loving the whole series. I, I will say at this point in the discussion that I'm not like the biggest fan. I am a fan. I did enjoy the ride and I'm not going to pick it apart. But um, I had a few things that really, really bothered me. And uh, and I think 
but for the most part, I think it was, uh, you know, a very interesting, uh, very unique ride that, that these books took me on. And yeah. Stuff, but, and, and, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff where you're like, okay, buddy. Yeah. I mean, and, and just a, just a brief little sidetrack, Steve, only because you mentioned you used to read the star Wars books. Yeah. And there was one I read, uh, called splinter of the mind's eye. I don't know if you ever read that. I did not. It, it was by Alan Dean Foster and it came out like, I think in like 1978. And I think it was one of the first, um, uh, post uh, movie books that came out and it came out right after the first movie. Okay. Uh, and before empire strikes back. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So it's, but it's, it's terrible. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, and, and Luke and Leah there, they go to this other planet and they're on this mission or whatever, and they get captured by stormtroopers, blah, blah, blah. And they get locked in a cell and there's this big giant hulking furry alien thing uh, not quite a Wookiee, but, you know, some, a big hairy monster like that. And it seems like they're going to get their asses kicked or eaten or whatever. And Luke walks over and says something in a weird language. And uh, and then the monster, like, picks him up and gives him a big hug. And Leah's like, oh, my God, what? And he was like, yeah, this is a um, this is a yuzum or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I learned about them back on Tatooine. Learning about alien cultures and their languages was a good way to pass the time. Oh fuck off! And, I, and it was just explained in like two sentences, and then I was like, "This." And I was like 15 when I read it, so I was no great literary critic. But even I was like, "This sucks." This is this sucks. Yeah, I'm gonna go listen to some Triumph. This is bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Yes. All right. I mean, with that said, I'm gonna. Open... I'm going to Triumph. <laughs> with that, I'm gonna open my uh my my second fear here yeah but my my point with that steve is like there's a lot of stuff that could have gone that way that could have made the reader mm -hmm. be like oh you got to be shitting me but i think in king's hands he handled it well and used it to expand yeah. the mythos a little bit for sure so um so you you skipped over like so much and you know, I, I do not want to be exhausted with our description of these books, but sure. uh, just real quick, they, they did pass through the city of Ludd, uh, yep. getting to Blaine. And the reason is that they need to go to Blaine is because they found out it's the only way to get across the wastelands, which is how to continue their journey following the beam or whatever. So right. they, they get to Ludd and it's a very, very fascinating place. In my opinion, I loved it. And it was all controlled by computers and the computers, you know, so you had again, this sense of, you know, Shardik was the same book. So again, we're having the sense of there's ancient technology that is so old that it either doesn't work or in the case of Blaine, he literally went insane, which is a concept that I love so much. I love the idea of a, of a computer that thank it, that literally it, it thunk itself into, into insanity because it couldn't do its only purpose. It's yeah. Like the people of Ludd died and and like it, it Blaine's only reason for existing was to be a train was to like transport people from here to there and back again. And that's it. And it can't do that anymore in an event, but it's still aware. It can't move. It can't go anywhere. And it just eventually goes nuts. And I, I just I just love it. Um, but uh, very, very interesting book. So we get to this part and they're they're like on Blaine. They're going to have this riddle contest. And then what happens? The freaking book ends. They yeah. don't even have the riddling contest. Yeah. The book just ends. And King, <laughs> he has like this epilogue where he goes, 
Um, some people are going to probably hate me for ending the book here, <laughs> but you just trust me that it's what I had to do. And I'm just like, holy crap, dude, that is the ballsiest thing. And that was 91. The fourth book did not come out until 1997. Mm-hmm. So let's, and I know this is your favorite. So why don't you lead us into dark tower four? Yeah. Well, and that one's called wizard and glass and uh, it's, it's a flashback story. Um, Other so, than the, well, it, so the first, the first bit isn't the first does. Finish. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it picks up where uh, the wasteland ends. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, they're kind of hanging around for, uh, several hours and uh, Eddie sort of defeats the computer by telling it childish jokes and the computer is unable to handle Eddie's, uh, you know, illogical riddles and it short circuits. Right. So Roland for all his talk about, you know, cause he's right about everything. So this yeah. was a really good chance for him to be wrong about something. Yeah. Roland is the mat. You know, he's good at riddles. He kept telling him to think around corners, Eddie, you and your stupid jokes. And what did Eddie do to actually beat, Blaine, because Blaine would answer any riddle that Roland could come up with. That was the problem. Yeah. He just kept winning. So I love that. It's not something logical that that won the riddling contest. Just there's no answer to a stupid joke. Like he doesn't get it. Like loved it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, uh, to sort of uh, pass the time after that, um, he uh, he tells the story. You know, they camp for a night next to uh, a thinny and he and he tells uh, his new quartet about his past and the first time he encountered a thinny. Um, and then we learn all about the young Roland and uh, the sorcerer, Martin Broadcloak, again, kind of like uh, Merlin in uh, the King Arthur legends. Um, having an affair with his mother, Gabrielle Deshane, and uh, Roland challenges his mentor, Court, which is also told in the first Gunslinger, but sort of told again in this one, in a duel to uh, earn his guns. And then we learn about his uh, his companions, Cuthbert and uh, Elaine, or Alain. I, I could never figure out how you pronounce that. But um, And then he falls in love with a girl named Susan Delgado. And, uh, and there's a whole... I don't want to, I don't want to give it away. But yeah. There's a whole, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. This is another long book. Yeah. This is, a, this is uh, let me see. Uh, okay. This is now the longest. So we went from 502 pages. This is 787 yeah. pages. The yeah. first one was 224 people like 787. We're at right now. And actually looking at it, this is the longest. This is the second longest longest until the final book. So the, the next the next three actually were shorter than this one. This yeah, is a, this is a long book, but like, you know, it would have been a little bit shorter had he put the conclusion with Blaine in the previous book, which I that's one of the things I just can't forgive him on. I really, really cannot get behind any explanation for doing that. It yeah, really it, pisses me off. It's almost like he all of a sudden got the inspiration for this flashback story and he just had to it's like he got distracted while he yeah. was writing the wastelands had to get this other thing out of him before he could return to that story so weird yeah yeah because the whole the the like chronologically okay so i should say this every one of these books is not like the other yeah every freaking one 
the plot, the way that the story is structured is so unique from all the rest. Yeah. And this one, like the second one, very, very unique with, yeah. with all he's jumping into New York and just a passenger. So different. So sure, unique. Sure. and then this one, same sort of thing. But this one, what he does, what King does is he bookends this giant flashback with two scenes from the present. So you start off and you get the conclusion with Blaine and yep. it ends and it moves the fort moves forward the series just a bit. Just yeah. a bit. He, they have yeah. one little one little adventure at the end of it. Yeah. And but neither but of those have anything to do with the whole middle of the book, which in my opinion should have been a side book. I love it, but it kind of bothers me that it's book four. Because yeah, well, yeah, and, and it, it is weird timeline wise, but it really again, you come away from that book, you know, okay, now I understand Roland. Now I understand his motivations. Yeah. Now I understand his demons. They all stem from this series of episodes from his youth. Yeah, uh, and it is great. His early days of of a gunslinger. And to me, I just I just love the story. I was so Agreed. invested in all of those characters, not just Roland, but all of his friends and Susan Delgado. It yes. just fantastic from and beginning to end. Great villain. Yeah. This not all the books have a villain that yeah. feels like, you know, because the man in black is is barely he's just a force in that first one. You don't yeah. meet him until the last the last scene. The second book. Well, who's the bad guy? Jack Mort? Not really. Yeah. There's really no villain in that second book. The third one, like Blaine, not really. Earlier, there's there's minor villains you kind of deal with along the way. You deal with Shardik. You deal with uh, the guy in Lud, the uh, the trash man or whatever. No, that was that was different. Yeah, it was a somebody man. Uh, he has so many. Right, right. And and like and and then at the end, it's Blaine. You know, but there's like small villains. But this one, it really felt like uh, this witch character was slowly built up as the villain and then turned into the absolute villain at the end, which you could see coming, but uh, the Rhea of the coups. Yeah. Um, and she was, uh, I think a really just interesting character, the way that she worked in to that world and she had a place in it. Yeah. And she would sort of like, uh, because uh, you know, Roland's the girl that he loved. Uh, Susan Delgado was uh, a promised concubine to somebody else. And like, she had to like sort of inspect her and make sure her virginity was intact and this right. whole weird uh, medieval thing. Um, also, it was very uncomfortable to read that section, but oh, it, it sure was. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there are scenes like that with King. He, he does do that sometimes with the ig factor, the, you know, kids at the end of it. But I mean, you know, it, it, it also does make sense, it makes sense a lot more than that scene in it uh, anyway. But, you know, it, it just you, you get this section, this, this, this feeling like, OK, this is this witch. The other people don't like her, but she does have a place in their society in this weird way. And they abide her existence. And there's no you know, there's this shaky piece or whatever between them. But she's she's really evil. It's like, no, for sure. Yeah. She is. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and, and, you know, introducing the concept of, uh, was it Marilyn's rainbow? Yes. I love um, this. I and, love and this. The, and the crystal ball, which is like, you know, this orb, the wizard's glass, which has shades of one of King's other books, the talisman, the one that he wrote with uh, Peter Straub and, and black house was the sequel to that. Those are sort of uh, tangentially related to the dark tower a little bit. 
Um, and yeah, just, uh, just again, it, it brought in all these new elements to the series. It upped the fantasy factor. It upped the Western factor. Yeah. It, it upped the, uh, the King Arthur factor. So if you liked all of those things, you got, uh, more of all of it in Wizards yes. class. Yes. And uh, yeah, is- I, yeah, my overall takeaway from that book, in addition to just really liking the story is you really come away with a much greater deeper understanding of roland as a person not just as a gunslinger but as a a whole complete person see i think that um this is one of the ones i would like to reread um because it's such a standalone and it is such a strong story by itself that i don't really need to reread the whole thing to read wizard and glass yeah and i think that's what makes me stick by my guns when i say like i think it should have been a side book because it you know again with you know with the exception of the beginning and the end where they're in i think it's i think it's essential because no other book helps you understand roland and his motivations and his demons better than this one that is true yes so timeline wise yes absolutely it's oddly placed but i think truly essential to the series gotcha yeah no i i agree with that and uh and stuff but yeah no i i would like to reread this one honestly um it was it was very good yeah and and, um, and, and steve i don't know if you've explored any of the uh the dark tower comic books i haven't no um but one of the series you know a lot of them are are new original stories but some of them are retellings of the book and one of them is wizard and glass so if you want sort of a quicker more bullet points rereading of the basics of wizards and glass you might want to check out the comic series i think i forget how many issues it was that, with that yeah that is cool line. yeah that is cool and, and i know that some of the comics had uh gone to exploring some of the characters and uh, from what I read online, people don't consider them to be canon, um, but like they do go into more detail in the background of Marilyn and yep. um, uh, the Crimson King and uh, different stuff. And I, yeah, I guess and, you're and, not and really supposed to done. take it as gospel, but. Yeah, well, and they and they were absolutely done with Stephen King's approval and were supervised by uh, a woman named Robin Firth, who worked with Stephen King and actually has written a two volume thing called um, uh, Dark Tower, a Concordance, which is pretty much a Dark Tower encyclopedia. Um, And she originally wrote that for Stephen King Hmm. uh, to sort of keep track of all the elements, because as he was getting later and later into the series, he would start he would start to forget certain details or like, now, wait a minute, this guy was related to who, and this guy got betrayed by who and what. And so she sort of sat down. So she, other than Stephen King himself is pretty much the foremost authority on On the the dark Dark tower Tower. series and all the details. So she was the one that sort of, uh, not only did she plot some of the comics, she wrote some of them, but she was sort of the, uh, the executive producer, if you will. She's the uh, Uh, premier dark tower um, scholar. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so i mean take that for what it's worth so i i always you know whether the comics are are 100 canon or not i think they're worth your time if you've read the whole series cool. um so you read them yourself yes awesome yeah that, that that's cool i i i remember when the the gunslinger born i think had come out i think that was the first mm-hmm. one he did and i was like oh i'm gonna get into this and i think honestly it was around that time that i decided to read the books because yeah. the, the idea crossed my mind to just read the comics at that point and i remember them saying yeah uh king's involved and all this stuff 
but I uh, ultimately did not read them. But uh, yeah, sounds sounds definitely cool. Yeah, um, worth your time. But, so yeah, um, getting back to the books. Uh, so the book ends. Uh, they come into this city, you know, after Roland tells them the big long story. Yeah, so about the, yeah, flashbacks over. We're yeah, back they, in the now now. Yeah. And they when will then the, be now. And the answer is soon. Yeah. And now it's now now. Right, right, right. So then they end up uh, coming to this city, which is very similar to the Emerald City in the Wizard of Oz. Right. Um, and then there is a, a sort of wizard who we find out is Martin Broadcloak, also known as Randall Flagg. And uh, it's a whole Walter O'Dim, who's the yeah. man in black in the first yeah. book. And they're all the same. And he did. We didn't mention it, but he did show up in book three. He wasn't in yeah. Man in Black was not in book two at all. We saw his bones and yep. we learned later that that was a ruse. It was just bullshit. He hadn't Roland had not slept for 100 years. It was all bullshit. He uh, uh, Walter, whatever, he, whatever name he wants to use was yeah. uh, he, he just set those bones up and, and, you know, like beat feet and was like out of there because yeah. he's really afraid of him. Yeah. And and so uh, the main point at the end of the story is Randall Flagg or Martin Broadcloak, whoever he he leaves the wizard's glass. Uh, this one, nickname, you know, nicknamed Maryland's grapefruit because it's pink. Right. And you can it's like a crystal ball. You can see things in it and it shows the, the you know, uh, Eddie and Susanna and Jake. It shows them the day that Roland accidentally kills his own mother. And his point in showing them that is that he wants them to abandon him because he clearly has a history of bringing calamity to his friends and loved ones, mm -hmm. which without getting into the details of the big flashback story, that's a big part of that. Yeah. But even after they hear that, he's not story, wrong. And yeah, he's a hundred percent right. But even after they hear that flashback story and see the vision of what happened that day with his mom, they refuse to abandon him and they set off once more for the dark tower. Right. So they're yeah. back on track after that uh, flashback. And now we, we understand Roland more and they do ref yeah. refer to the, the events in the story a, a decent amount later. And because remember, it wasn't just a flashback. It was a story. He was telling them. Yeah. It was like a campfire story. This one night he told them. Right. So now uh, Eddie and Susanna and Jake know all about those characters and they reference them. They will say, yeah. they will mention Susan Delgado. Yep. They'll mention different different things that happened yeah, later on, which is and, yeah. cool. Yeah. Right. It's a uh, pretty cool. So next one. Next up, we have Dark Tower Five Wolves of the Kala. Yeah. Uh, that came out in 2013. So mm -hmm. we went from 97 and then Stephen King had his very near fatal accident. Yeah. He was uh, run off the road and hit by a van in 1999 um but in 2003 luckily uh he was like you know what i gotta get off my ass and finish this shit because i almost died yeah. <laughs> so he puts out the next three books in two years yeah and these are not short books either now uh so book five is 714 pages uh, book six is 432. So, okay, that's actually the shortest since the second. But the yeah. final one is the longest of all Dark Tower 7, The Dark Tower, is yeah. 845 pages. Yeah. So a pretty substantial freaking book. But, yeah. but five, before we get there, 
Uh, to encapsulate five, I will say I really enjoy this one. Five to me was sort of the most action packed one. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to me, the one that at least in structure sort of reminded me of one of those Clint Eastwood spaghetti. Oh, yeah. Where they're sort of on this regular, you know, they're wandering around looking for the dark tower, but then they get sort of hired for this side quest. So yes. it is kind of like a traditional Western where yeah. the gunslinger comes to town and the townspeople need him to take care of this yep. problem. He's like, well, I'll do it for a price. You know, sort yep. of like that. Yeah. It's high plains drifter. It's, yeah. you know, magnificent seven. Yep. Totally. Um, it's uh, the three amigos uh, blazing saddles. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been done a million times, but it, it is a, it's, it's a classic sort of Western, um, story yeah structure. and yet with and, with uh, all it was of fun the, that they did it yeah and yet with all of the tropes that we've come to know from the series at this point the sort of sci-fi elements uh the sort of uh arthurian uh, lord of the rings kind of elements and then little hints of other fictional works there are nods to some Harry Potter things. There are nods to some Star Wars things. There's are there are nods to Marvel comics, comics things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and this is this is another one where it's like you're enjoying it, but you're also like, I still don't quite get what's going on. Why are there obvious Marvel comics things in this story? <laughs> right, right. So basically, the story is this: this town is under siege by bandits, just like in High Plains Drifter, but the bandits are what they call wolves. And all we know is that they are these, these guys that have wolf faces and uh, their armor, they, their armor is silver and they also have green cloaks and they come every certain amount of years, but it's not, it's not a set amount. It's like 20 something, but it's never exactly the same. And they come and they take one kid from every family and they steal the kids and they do something and then the kids wander back some months later and they are what they refer to as ruined, which is clearly just a colloquialism for saying ruined in sort of a, you know, jargony way. They ruined. Yeah. You got your kids root now. You got all root. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, yeah. It's all it's almost like they got, uh, you know, they can still function, but they it's like they got lobotomized or something. Right. They're they're now uh, unable to. They're nonverbal. They yeah. are as if they were, you know, handicapped. Yeah. But it doesn't end there because they start to transform and become these giant uh, sort of just just mutated mongoloid versions of themselves. And uh, it's it, as they transform it, it's it's incredibly painful. And 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 they go back to their families, but they're just a burden on all the families. And but, you know, it's your kid and, you know, your brother or what your sister or whatever. And obviously, you know, you do what you can, but they never live long lives anyway. And nobody knows what is going on and what causes this and who the wolves are and who sends them and what is going on. And so it's just the sort of thing where this town has been dealing with it for so long. And some of the, uh, the members decided, uh, I think somebody had a vision or something and yeah. they, they, they knew that there was a gunslinger coming or there were gunslingers coming and they somehow intercepted Roland and get them all into this. So, Without going into every exhaustive detail, I will say the bullet points for this episode are 
Uh, we have Jake gets to be a, a kid. Yep. This is the only book where Jake gets to be a kid. There are other kids. He has a friend. There are like, he gets to see what a family should be like. Uh, Cause his family life wasn't great. And he uh, really just gets to be a kid. So that's nice to see. And it's also, there's a lot for Jake to do in this book. Unlike a lot of them, he, he gets to do stuff in the third one for sure. But this, I feel like is, is a really fun book for Jake and he gets to do stuff away from Roland. It's not like he's constantly checking with Roland on stuff or whatever. He's like doing stuff by himself. So I thought right, that was really right. cool. Uh, I do think that the, the whole story of what's happening to this town is, is really interesting. And like, I'm dying to know what's going on. That was well done. Yeah. Um, we have uh, one of my favorite characters of all, uh, Andy, the robot. Many other, <laughs> yeah, many other is, functions. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and sort of like a little like C-3PO, but also like um, the paranoid android from the Hitchhiker's Guide uh, novels. Sure, yeah. yeah. Was it Melvin or something like that? It's yeah. Yeah. Mar- Mar- Marvin. I, I can't something remember. Something like that. Yeah. 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 And so we have uh, this, this strange character this robot that was left over from uh, times past and he still functions and he's helpful he helps everybody if you need him he's like you know he'll be like oh yeah i am a i'm a fence builder uh many other functions you know he, he can yeah. do whatever you want him to do uh he'll translate things he'll you know but he's uh he's just this very strange character that is just part of this this town it's just you know he's andy i don't know he's just andy so i loved andy andy was great um and uh, they introduced this uh, this whole concept of these warrior women that used to throw deadly th- like dinner plates. They would yeah. sharpen these plates, and this like carries all- over into the final book. Even they carry some of these plates yeah. like for the rest yeah. of the series. So that's like kind of this interesting thing. But also, there is something going on with Susanna. Yeah, she starts to manifest a new personality. Yes. Um uh called uh Mia, daughter of none. Yes. Um and uh I I don't want to say why that personality manifests itself, but we're going to have to talk about it in the next book anyway. We'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. But in this fucked up shit is happening with with Susanna. <laughs> fucked yeah. up shit she's yeah. going and doing weird stuff and it is just bizarre and you're not expecting it and 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 like anyway so it all is just basically a riff on high plains drifter so yeah uh they get the, they whip the town up into shape essentially and they they get them ready to fight the wolves and it's just basically like all the movies i mentioned um oh yeah oh yeah i missed a bullet point pair callahan Yes, uh, Father Callahan, uh, who, if you're a Stephen King fan, we were first introduced to in Salem's Lot. That's right. So all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, here's a dude from a different Stephen King book in this Dark Tower book. Absolutely awesome. And, you know, he's he does this more and more in the in the final books where we meet these characters that sort of just kind of, you know, felt like they probably had more story to tell. But then they just the book ended. Well, yeah, and again, also expanding on this whole um, shared Stephen King universe that really makes it a lot like Marvel Comics, where you right. know the the X Men will show up in a Spider Man comic, right. and the Hulk will show up in a Wolverine comic. You know, like it's all yeah. this shared universe, and we know Stephen King was a big fan of comics, particularly Marvel comics. So, 
makes sense. So I think it's uh, an homage and also just a, a way to tie more of his works together. Yeah. I, I, I loved it, you know, and, uh, Salem's lot is, uh, definitely one of my favorite Stephen King books. It's, it holds the distinction of the only book in history I've ever read back to back. Like, so I read it twice in a row. I, I finished it and then started it again. It's the only time I've ever done that. I'm not sure why I did that. That's impressive. I, I don't, I don't, I, well, I, to this day, I'm not quite sure why I decided to do that. I, I think I went back and w- read the opening paragraph again and, and was like, I don't know. I just, I was like, yeah. And then I, I'm 10 pages in and I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm just going to keep going again. I don't know why I did that, but I did. But Callahan is, is the priest in that movie in that, uh, well, the movie too, yeah. but in the book. In the book. And, yeah. and yeah, he, he just sort of has this very ambiguous ending because he, you know, yeah. he's, he's the priest who stands up to the vampire and Kurt Barlow ends up biting him. And yeah, you're expecting, okay, now he's going to be a vampire in this story. And instead he just kind of leaves and you're like, what? How? Yeah. And at that point I liked father Callahan. I thought he was a, he's a heroic character in that book. And he had, you know, his faith altered, uh, faltered uh, in the face of pure evil. And, uh, and, and, you know, he, Barlow got a bite in and, uh, you know, I, uh, I always wondered why King decided to do that. And I'm sure he didn't intend to put him in dark tower at that point. He just decided that was the right thing to do. And he just wanted to end it that way. And that was like his God damn it. I'm going to have a Tom Bombadil moment and tough shit. You're going to not know. You're just going to not know. It's, yeah. it's fuck you. You don't get to know everything. Yeah. And it's fine. <laughs> right. I get that. I totally get that. You don't ever get yeah. to know everything about everything. Like who knows what no, ever happens, but I love that. But yeah, so he so, shows up here. Yeah. And so to kind of fast forward a little bit, um, you know, there's the big battle with the wolves of the Cala. Yeah. And, uh, and it's you know, awesome. It, it's great. Yeah. Again, this is certainly the most action packed book. Um, you know, if you were a big fan of the big uh, orc battle scenes in uh, Lord of the Rings, then this is your dark tower book. Right. Right. Um, and, and there's also a thing going on in New York City in our time where there's a vacant lot with a rose growing. Oh, in it, yes. Uh, right. Which is sort of like a representation of the Dark Tower in our world. And like this rose has to be protected at all times. And, and um, uh, uh, Susanna, who uh, is rapidly losing uh, ground to her new personality, Mia. She finds a way to like teleport back to New York and there's a whole subplot. And at the end of the end of the book, she's gone to New York and they got to follow her. Meanwhile, Father Callahan makes the discovery, um, you know, they're in New York in our time and he's they're in somebody's apartment and they're looking through the guy's books and uh, he finds a fictional novel called Salem's Lot written right. by somebody named Stephen King. Right. Yeah. And I which, think that's the first time we hear is Stephen it, King mentioned. Yeah. Um, which that's the first time, you know, in my head, reading. You wanted to like, throw it across the room. I like where this is going. <laughs> um, but, you know, the rest of the book was so entertaining. And this was almost, I don't want to call it an afterthought, but this was definitely towards the end of the book when the main plot was pretty much finished and they're kind of tying up loose ends. 
And I was like, oh, that's, that's a weird ending. I don't know if I like where this is going. <laughs> Boy, little did I know what I had in store for me. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, hey, Rick, can you can you go get a beer or something? Because because I want to call this episode two guys drinking beers talking about the Dark Tower. <laughs> well, two right things. now I'm the only one drinking. Tonight. Well, two things, Steve. I Usually I'm a wine guy. So I could go get a bottle of wine, but I also get up at four in the morning. So I <laughs> to host a morning radio show. So that is, that is fair. That is fair. I think I'll yeah. just lie. I think I'll just yeah, okay. lie and we can accept it. And it's fine. All right. So, all right. So we, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta get going. You gotta get to bed. All right. So Wolves yeah. of the Cala, the, the end note there is we learn that, okay, something was going on with Susanna for sure, but we learned that there are, uh, there's something sinister going on with these kids that are being stolen and I don't remember exactly how much we learn of that exactly, but um, I think in the final, final bit of it, it says something to the effect of there are these people who are these psychics that are actually trying to break the beams that connect to the dark tower. And they are collectively yes. called the breakers. We don't know any more about yes. them, uh, but the... Yep. There's something happening with the brains of these children that are being like drained away, um, much like the essence of the podlings in the dark crystal is where my mind goes. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, and they are going to the uh, for the uh, the war effort, which is to break down the beams. Um, so uh, I think that is the first time that the breakers were mentioned at the very 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 end. Um, so anyway, we, we go into the next book and I'll let you do that. So, uh, that's, uh, the dark tower six. So what do we got, Rick? Yeah. Uh, so now we move into song of Susanna, uh, which was first published in 2004. And I have to say, Steve, probably, well, I don't know if it's my least favorite, but not one of my favorites. And the reason that I know that it's is a contender I, for least favorite Yeah, is I barely remember anything from this. I, I absolutely remember reading it but it doesn't stand out for me the way that, you know, certain elements of all of the books do in other ways. I, I barely remember the plot of this one. All right. Well, I, I think I can encapsulate this very quickly. We Go don't even it. need bullet points. Basically it's about one thing, which is the birth uh, of a new character. So what was going on with Mia and Susanna is that she was somehow pregnant and to describe the yeah. details of it will make me, feel like I'm I've gone insane and then I'm looking my, my eyes have turned backwards and I'm staring at the inside of my retinas so like it's so weird and so I, I want to say stupid but like I, I guess that's a little mean but it's very weird um it is weird and it's and, and for those of you that are listening and 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 think well wait Steve has kids he knows how people get pregnant yeah it's a Stephen <laughs> King book it's not uh it's not what you think when you get your demon seed faxed into your body I mean it's just kind of uh, but anyway so yeah. she is pregnant with this demon child that is it's half demon and it's also part Roland and it's also part the Crimson King who is a character we haven't really talked about. Uh, other than to mention him earlier in the conversation, but to be fair, he's really just not in the series at all. He only shows up at the very end of the last book and he, he's just sort of a force. You get it that he's the main villain of it, just like Sauron is. And he really is the main inspiration Sauron from the Lord of the Rings. 
Um, even down to the fact that the the sim the main symbol for the Crimson King is his eye. So you always yeah. will see the eye of the Crimson King. Um, yeah. Sometimes you see it just uh, you know just spray painted on a on a wall, or you'll see it somewhere. Um, but it is his like big symbol. Um, and of course, that's that's Sauron's deal too. He's the, it's the Eye of Sauron. Um, so he's uh, he's sort of the the main villain, you know, just because he tells us he is. He's, but he doesn't really. You know, you feel the effects of his machinations, but even then, at the end of it all, I feel like it doesn't sort of really feel like it makes any sense. But it's fine. Yeah, yeah I remember being like, "Is that supposed to be the devil?" Yeah, or, it's it's know, bizarre. Like, uh, but so, song of Susanna. Like the 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 point is she gives birth to a new character and that happens at the very, very end. Um, all the other characters are trying to get to her. She was separated from them. So you have different groups and, uh, and uh, one of the weird things that happens is we do meet Stephen King, um, Roland and Eddie actually meet him in the seventies and uh, freak him out. And because he sees his characters coming, uh, walking up the drive, but also, um, in this world, Stephen, well, it's supposed to be our world. Stephen King hadn't actually written the Dark Tower yet. Even the first book, The Gunslinger, uh, this was in the 70s. So he had the ideas and he had done a treatment and he had sort of put it in the garage and just never expected to finish it, never intended to finish it, I should say. But anyway, it's very weird. A lot goes on, but essentially it's just about the birth of this new character. The new character's name is Mordred, again, with the Arthur Arthurian you know, connotations yep. and references. Yep. Uh, so we have this new character, Mordred, and he's poised to be a big deal um, as far as we, <laughs> we assume anyway. And uh, so the, <laughs> the, the book just sort of ends uh, with the birth. And, um, you know, you learn a, a lot about what Mia is and stuff, but, you know, read the book. It's fine. Uh, it is it is, I would say, one of the weakest uh, entries. I did appreciate how much Susanna was in it, but I didn't really love what she had to do. She was kind of just along. Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I kind of think a prisoner. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, to a to a much lesser degree, it's sort of like Wizards in Glass, where you at least come and come away from it with a little bit more of an understanding of Susanna. Um, but yeah, it does not hold your attention like the other ones do. I mean, read it because yeah. you got it. It'll <laughs> fill in some gaps for you. Um, but it's not the best of the series by any stretch. And it sort of does what the, um, you know, it's not as bad of a sin, in my opinion, as putting the end of the second half of the Blaine scene in a different book. But it does feel well, like yeah. the beginning of the next book could have been in this book. Um, and the next book's so freaking long that, you know, and this one's short. So I think you could have taken yeah. some of book seven and put it in six, and it would have maybe been a, a little bit better. But Either way, we go into the final book uh, other than the side book, which I don't think we've mentioned at all. I never read the, the side book. What is it? Um, the Wind Through the Keyhole, right? Uh, the wind, wind, wind Through the Keyhole. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit, it's much, much shorter. It's a little bit like Wizards in Glass in that it's a like, they have to stop for the night somewhere. And so Roland tells them a story kind of deal. Okay. Um, and it came out after the final book came out by a lot yeah 2012 yeah. the final book yeah. was uh 2004 the final two books yeah. were 2004 right but if you were actually going to place it in the timeline somewhere 
It actually comes after uh, Wizards and Glass and before Wolves of the Cala. Yeah. Okay. So that's where they are on their journey. And and I remember reading it and it was fun. And I thought, oh, it's so nice to be back with these characters in this world, but it's not essential by any stretch. Gotcha. So that's why you're you're, you know, the way you've defended Wizard and Glass being book four specifically, it's like, but that stuff you did need. Yeah. This, this you don't really need. Yeah, this no, this it was just it was a nice little fun story. It was nice to revisit those characters, but not essential to the overall arc of the story or the mythos for that matter gotcha um so i i mean i'll definitely read it at some point yeah for sure. oh for sure yeah it's i mean it's it, it'll be fun if nothing else yeah yeah but so dark tower five the dark tower um so i literally finished this last week um and you knew that i was closing in and we talked about doing this episode and i've sort of been giving you like little tidbits of like my progress and stuff but i finally finished it and uh, at the end of it all, I think that because a lot happens in this book, it's a, it's a very long book. It's the longest in the series, as I said. Uh, at the end of it all, I feel like uh, the ending itself, you know, the way, the, the way that the final, the final note of it, what it does, which I won't give away, I'm okay yeah. with. I'm okay with yeah. it. But I, I absolutely... I'm not a fan of that final uh, the meeting with the Crimson King, I think was garbage. Uh, I think everybody thinks that it's very like seems to be the, the, the thought over on the interwebs. Uh, I don't think people are too, too fond of w- the way King ended this book. Um, but there's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, so, and, and, and you know, Steve, that is something, something my wife and I talk about a lot because we both read all the Stephen Kings and we're both huge fans and as much as we love him and as much as we get immersed in in some of his novels, sometimes he has a real problem ending his books. A lot of people say that. Yes. Yeah. 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 I've, I've thought that a lot. I thought that in Needful Things as well. I thought that, um, you know, it, 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 so much of Needful Things is set up and yeah. you're like, oh, my God when it all freaking when the shit hits the fan this is going to be the most amazing thing ever and it's just sort of isn't and it's right. not a it's it's a good book i like yeah. it yeah but and that's the thing about that's the thing about king is his characters are so likable and so real yeah that you really come to love them and his world building is great you know whatever small town in maine he's in you're right there with him and you can totally picture it and you're you're so wrapped up in it true yeah. uh you know it's it's really more about the journey than the end product because yeah a lot of times his endings are are kind of unsatisfying or are kind of head scratchers yeah and i mean it is a big example of that i mean just just the the the, the final the final whole thing oh my god with the turtle yeah. and everything and the turtle we find yeah. out is actually one of the beam guardians and is mentioned yes. many times throughout the books yeah which is cool as hell i thought but anyway so to to encapsulate this this final oh go ahead sorry no i was just gonna say lots of of uh things that appear in other king books lots of themes and lots of symbols there's the turtle um which we see in other king books there's spiders which we've seen which is always a recurring thing in stephen Mm -hmm. king's work um and uh, and a few other things like that where you've seen them in previous books and they show up a lot in the dark tower in fact there's so many spiders that i uh, remember that movie uh night shift yeah that was not a story that i had ever read and it wasn't a good movie but at the end of it i'm like you know what 
it was a giant bat yeah. instead of a giant spider. So yeah. I will give this movie that. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a giant bat. Right. <laughs> but so to encapsulate the final book is really kind of hard. It, 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 it's just very meandering and very sprawling. And uh, we, we get to see, uh, I think the first, I feel like it's the first big thing, uh, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. But the first big thing that sticks into my mind is we, we meet who the breakers are. Yes. And we deal uh-huh. with the breakers. And this is another classic uh, it's it's like what, what again the the term the term is escape me not suspension of disbelief it's the uh, I said it in the first one the uh, subverting your expectations it, it's like a hundred percent not what you're expecting right yeah with this like uh, you're expecting oh these are going to be bad evil things they're eating the brains of children I hate them and then you meet yeah. them and, but like who are the breakers do you remember yeah they're 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 psychics um, who are being pretty much being forced to do what they're doing. Um, it's almost like a like a concentration camp where they capture these uh, psychics and they put them to work using their psychic ability to to break the beams and ultimately bring down the dark tower. Um, and uh, but in doing so, they're um, you know they're, it's like their life force gets sucked out. And, you know, it, it, but yet they're not like in prison. They're kind of, they've made them happy. Yeah. It's almost, it's, it's like a, you know, it's, it, it is kind of like prison, but like one of those swanky, like that only white collar prisoners go to. Right. So there's like, you know, a, a library and ping pong tables and video games, but like you're still in prison. <laughs> right. And apparently there's also uh, like a hollow deck uh, where you can have sex with anybody. Yeah. And, and it's just like, yeah, it works. It's pretty good. You just can't like, like, don't, don't stare at the, the, the person too long. Cause then it'll like shimmer and it'll, it'll break the illusion. But yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I pretty much bang Marilyn Monroe every night. And yeah. like, it's just, it's just like, yeah, they, they just kind of keep us, keep us, you know, in, uh, in <laughs> virtual yeah. sex and, uh, yeah. and food and good food and whatever. It's very weird. And, and they, they, you know, get to this, this place and they're ready to kill everybody. And these are just people. They're people from Earth yeah. that have been slowly yeah. brought here. And I, I they didn't yeah. say the word the shining, but my interpretation was that these people all have the shining, that they were just, you know, using yeah, it for, for different things. For sure. He doesn't say that, but I, that was my interpretation. I felt like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the guys is, um, if you've read uh, the novella uh, Hearts in Atlantis, um, right. uh, one of the guys is Ted from uh, one of the stories in that book. Um, so more characters from other Stephen King works show up in this one. Right. Ted um, Brodergand. And yeah. I, I, I haven't read that, but I looked up the name because he clearly, they kept saying Ted Brodergand, Ted Brodergand. And, and I'm like, I wonder if he's from one of the other books. And it's like, oh, he's from Hearts and Atlantis. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, which is a good book. I really like that one. Oh, okay. And that's cool. And, and, and the, um, the guardians at this weird uh, prison slash dormitory. um, They call them Tahines. Yeah. And they're like people with animal heads. Right. Um, A lot of birds for some reason. And a a weasel. Yeah. And a weasel. And and I just call them the wheeze. 
I forget. Are they wearing like suits and ties, but they have like animal heads or something like that? I don't remember if they have suits and ties or not. I can't remember, but yeah, he had, this is where I think he goes hog wild with his uh, colloquialisms. Cause I think that I firmly believe that King needs to be restrained uh, like with it, like by an editor. And I think that's why, you know, there's the, the, the expanded version of the stand and it has like, you know, 10,000 extra words and stuff. And it's like, does, does it need this? No. And he even admits he's like, it, it's not necessarily better. It's just longer. And I, I well, have yeah, or, or so, or as a friend of mine, yeah, as, as a friend of mine put it, when he read the uh, expanded edition of the stand, he's like, did they not print it previously because it was too controversial or too disgusting or too horrifying? No, they didn't print it. Cause it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's you know, so it's like longer does not always mean it's better. Like, you know, all these director cut versions, these movies that come out. I mean, if you're talking dicks, I don't know. I guess that's a personal thing. I'll just throw that out there because I obviously (laughs) that's what she said. (laughs) Well, yeah, longer can sometimes be better, I I suppose, if if that's your thing. But but you're but you're right. Constraint is sometimes, uh, you know, or at least not. Uh, surrounding yourself with sycophants you know what i mean like right i don't know i felt like he was unrestrained i felt like he got to do everything he possibly ever wanted and he which is understandable honestly understandable but yeah he has like colloquialisms coming out the ass so he has like three names for the place where the breakers are and he has like three names for the tahine and three names for the other yeah. animal people, not the Tahine, but there are the low men, but they're also called like two other yeah. things. And it's just like so freaking confusing with all of his weird terminology for all the stuff. He's all made up words and everything. And and I, I just felt like, oh, boy, like he really didn't do this in the other ones. Somebody so they just let him. They just let him go. They just let him. They're like, ah, fuck it. Yeah. It's the last one. Just let him let yeah. him have his his pie. It's fine. Who cares? But um, any, anyway, <laughs> did you ever. Did, did you ever see that little, um, if you watch family guy, you know how they always have these random little skits within skits. Yeah. <laughs> and there, and there's one scene where it's Stephen King in a literary agent's monster, uh, a literary agent's office. <laughs> and they're like, okay, Mr. King, what are you working on? And it's like, he looks around the office uh-huh. like, yeah, this, uh, this next book I'm working on is a, uh, it's a lamp monster. And he picks up the lamp on the desk, like, Ooh, ooh scary. <laughs> and the agent goes, serious and he's like it's all i got right now and then he goes when can i have it (laughs) it's like they know that anything that he writes is gonna sell right that's so (laughs) at this point it's he is more than a proven commodity i mean for sure yeah um but so we we deal with the breakers we we do all that and then it kind of does a lot of different stuff but the uh the big theme I think is the dismantling of the cartet. And I don't feel like we need to describe how everything happens, but no, no, no. I will say that, you know, they did not go in the order that I assumed they would at all. Yeah. Not even a little bit. And the one who was left at the end, I'm not going to say who it is. I think simultaneously, was pretty much the last of them that I assumed would be the last. And because it comes down to like two. Yeah. And they kind of leave at the same time ish. Very, yeah. very close. But 
like really not really not who I thought at all. But I'm so glad it was that character because I think that Roland had probably the least screen time alone with that character, probably mm-hmm. knew that character the least. And really, it just was nice to see. And I, I loved the interactions and what what went down. And I, uh, I really appreciate his choice of just the order that they went in being so not what I assumed. Yeah. Now, and, and again, without giving anything away about the ending ending, mm-hmm. um, I was okay with it. It is. It wasn't the ending that I wanted. It wasn't the ending that I expected, but it made sense. If that makes any sense. Uh, you So like, you mean the, the end end or the final, like the, yeah, the confrontation and, and, with the, the, the no, game. I mean, I mean the end end of the book. Okay. Sure. The end end was fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's controversial. Some people love it. Some people hate it to me. It was again, not the ending I wanted, but an ending that made sense. So I accepted it. There's also, there's a, there's a point in the book where Stephen King says, okay, if you want the nice happy ending, you can stop right here. Yes. Yeah. And, I love that. And, yeah. and you can imagine that Roland and his friends lived happily ever after. And then there's this coda section, which is the actual ending. Right. And again, that's what I'm talking about. That final ending again, not what I wanted, not what I was sure. expecting, but within the realms of this mythology that King had created, it made sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, but Basically, it all comes down to, you know, the, this this big confrontation. Um, the, the scene that happens uh, before that, they, uh, where they stop at this random house on the side of the road and have their final side adventure, the final side quest. Mm-hmm. I, I will admit to two things. When they got to it, I'm like, God damn fucking side quest. I am so sick of side quests. I don't want another fucking side quest. This is stupid. Yeah. And then it turned into my favorite part of the whole book. Yeah, for sure. It totally did. I loved it. Yeah. I love that scene. So I, yeah. And, and that's where he really tied in child roll into the dark tower came the Robert Browning poem we, we mentioned earlier really was, uh, was tied in here. So, um, yeah. So Steve, since this is freshest in your mind, cause you literally just finished book seven. Yes. Overall impression of the series. Yeah, I, I, there's nothing like it. There is absolutely as much as it references a billion things and like lifts, lifts certain things, like just exactly as they are and, and references other things and like takes all these things. It's like Quint, it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie, right? Quentin Tarantino yeah. does that with everything. He's constantly lifting things and scenes, costumes, character ideas from like movies he loved as a kid. Like all these kung cool. fu movies and all these weird yep, yep. places and whatever, yeah, 70s, whatever. So like he does it too. And, and then he turns it into something original. And I mean, it's, it's kind of like that. And as much as I'm actually not that big of a Tarantino fan, this, this did work for me. This, the dark tower. Am I a fan at the end of it? Absolutely. I'm a fan. Yeah. Am I like, is it my favorite thing? Am I like this diehard? Am I going to defend it to anybody? No, it's too fucking weird. Not everybody is going to like this. Not everybody should. It's too weird. And then like, you know, like not everybody has to like everything anyway. I mean, like, sure. Star Wars is pop popular. 
plenty of people hate Star Wars. Sure, Dune is popular. Dune doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, I, I've never gotten into it. But, like, plenty of people love it to death. But I am not going to be a person who defends the Dark Tower. If you have a... If you think that, you know, King putting himself in the books is the stupidest thing ever and it's just too in- incomprehensible and all this stuff, that is a 100% valid. Whatever. I mean, think whatever you want. But I think, personally, I had a really good time. I had my doubts throughout it i every book i had moments where i was like uh i'm almost gonna throw this across the room but i stuck with it and these characters it's what you said about his his ability to write character you know these characters are like very wonderful very memorable you love them you fall in love with them um and you want them to succeed and there is enough interesting stuff that you're you really just have to keep going you just yeah i I gotta i think we're in agreement steve and i you know if you were to consider the dark tower as like one long forty thousand plus word book it's a lot like other stephen king books in that yes the ending is problematic he has a hard time winding things up but you're gonna have so much fun on the journey there and you're gonna fall in love with these characters you're going to be so invested you're going to care about what happens to them that it is worth it for you to uh see it through to the end yeah and in in that respect it's it's rewarding yeah i absolutely agree so i think with that we have made it all the way yeah from uh the 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 town of tull uh we've gone across the the desert after the man in black and we mm-hmm. have arrived at the dark tower and uh you know god damn it it didn't fall so yeah. we're still here which is <laughs> and awesome I, I, would, I would just say steve uh for if there's anybody listening that hasn't read it yet uh i would say a it's worth it and b i would say go certainly go in order but also um look up and see what are the other Dark Tower-related works. Yes. Because there are several Stephen King novels, and it might just be a one-sentence reference in one of the Dark Tower books. And then, like Salem's Lot, there's a major character that is also a major character in the Dark Tower. But that's one of the fun things for me uh, was as you're going along and you don't expect it, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, that newspaper's talking about the super flu from the stand. Or like... Yeah. Oh shit, they're talking about something that happened in insomnia. You know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. love all those little Easter eggs. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I love that you earlier in the episode mentioned that that is sort of like a Marvel Comics thing. And uh, I mean, it's it's fair to say that's a, you know, comics thing in general, like DC did it too. But, yeah, t- you know, that is the same sort of level of joy I would get to see Iron Man show up in the Spider-Man comic. Like, yeah, like yeah. oh, oh, you mean, exactly. oh, you mean Spider-Man? Spider-Man like looks up to Iron Man? Because they're both smart and like, yeah, he looks up to him and like, he, like that. I mean, that was so then when that happened in the MCU, that was my favorite thing ever because that that, that was my favorite thing from the comics. Like that was a yeah. pairing that I loved. Um, and, yeah. and like it just, by, it just by, enhanced by it. the time you get. Yeah. And by the time you get to the last Dark Tower book, it's like anything could happen. Like, yeah. Is Jake Torrance going to come and, and axe his way through the door at <laughs> the camp and save everybody? Like, you don't right. know. Or Jack Torrance. I mean. Jack Torrance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like, at that point, all bets are off. And I was like, anybody from any Stephen King book 
could, you know, Jack Torrance could be like gunning Christine and break down the gates of the, you know what I mean? Like anything could have happened. <laughs> Charlie from Firestarter just could have torched the place. Hell yeah. I was, I was expect, I, you know what? The little girl from Firestarter, I was hoping to see. Yeah. I have to admit. Yeah. I thought I was really expecting her to be in that village with the breakers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I really was because she when I read Firestarter, that was another one where I'm like, oh, she has the shining, too. Yeah, because the shining is so just a blanket term for psychic abilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in in that respect, yeah, that was, I think, probably the most fun for me is is the tie into all the other Stephen King works. And just I agree you know, kind of smiling about those little Easter eggs when you came across them. And I think if you haven't read all of the related works, it's not going to be quite as much fun for you. I a hundred percent agree. If you are a Stephen King fan, this definitely uh, is one of those things you got to get to, even if you've been putting it off and uh, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll have some fun along the way and it is kind of weird, but you know, Hey, you know, it works for you or it doesn't, it's up to you. Hey, uh, it's been a hell of a journey. I want to thank our guest, Rick Johnson. Uh, do you want to do a uh, promo for the, the radio network, Rank FM? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Steve. Well, first of all, it's been an absolute pleasure, Steve. Let's do this again soon. I feel Absolutely. like other, other Stephen King things we can talk about. I think you and I got to do a uh, Shining Book versus Shining Movie episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I have so much to say. I know. I know. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, if uh, people want to listen to me, I'm uh, Monday through Friday, 530 to 10 a.m. on uh, 107.5 Frank FM in Portland. You can stream it at 107.5 Frank.com. Also catch my heavy metal show on Friday nights. It's called Friday Night Steel, and you can stream that at 106.3 thebone.com. Ah, awesome. I, I got the horns up right now, man. They're Thank up. you, brother. They're up. They're high. <laughs> um, so that this has been a hell of a time. Uh, I know you got to go. Uh, I'm just going to wrap up the episode. So guys, retroids, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't jumped ship by now, we certainly hope you enjoyed this week's journey over the treacherous waters of all the things made growing up. Awesome. If you like what you've heard, please hit that little subscribe button and like us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as being full fledged members of the dorkening retroid octopus is still part of the inebriart podcast network. So if you get a chance, please visit inebriart dash art.com is how you spell it and check out their awesome shows i have been your host my name is parasite steve and uh it is indeed a sad thing that your adventures have ended here uh although just in case you're too worried about it remember there are other worlds than these I just wanted to run this by you. Okay. Listening to that final act of, of book seven, the, the confrontation with the Crimson King, I feel like I have a better version. Okay. I just want to run your, want to run it by you. See what you think. Yeah, go ahead. So in this, you know, version, uh, the Crimson King is not just an insane person who screams E at the top of his lungs. <laughs> yeah. As he throws Harry Potter grenades. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I think that, what I kept thinking all along the way, because I did know the end end and how it looped. And I was, I really was thinking like, I, I feel like the Crimson King is Roland. And mm. I feel like what is keeping them in this loop is that Roland is going to end up climbing the tower and becoming the Crimson King. And it just keeps happening. 
And the reason he becomes the Crimson King is because he's trapped on the balcony for all time. And eventually he goes crazy. So he can start with the best, best uh, intentions, but the, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with the, those things. So like mm-hmm. eventually he's trapped on, on, out on that balcony and clearly he can somehow like probably just because it's the nature of it's the dark tower itself. It's the linchpin of existence. So he's able to connect psychically to other realms and other planes and worlds and whatever. So I feel like I, I kept thinking that I'm like, I'm like, I think Roland is the, is the king. And I was really hoping that that would be true. And it just, it just wasn't. And I think that a really great way to end it all um, with just some minor tweaks would be that. So the character, we didn't talk about him, but this character, Patrick, that's from mm-hmm. um, insomnia that they yep. find at the yeah. end. I loved that whole thing. I loved that uh, so much. And I thought Patrick was cool and whatever. So we learn that he can draw things and erase things and it affects the real world. Yep. So he fixes uh, Susanna's uh, cancerous boil on her face, r- yeah. erases it. Okay. So I kept thinking like, not immediately, but bef- way before it happened, I was like, I bet he's going to erase the Crimson King. And he did. That is what happens in the thing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I, I really am surprised that he didn't draw back Roland's missing fingers. Mm. He fixed Susanna. I really feel like for the final battle with the Crimson King, that should have then led to he draws Roland and then he draws in the missing fingers. Mm. So my thought was just simply this that this has happened countless times in a loop already mm-hmm. every time roland ends up becoming the crimson king because patrick erases him and roland climbs the tower but in my version instead of looping he goes in goes out on the balcony and gets trapped hmm. so and then it loops somehow whatever so and my, my thinking was that this time is the one time that things happened differently. And the one thing that caused it all was that um, Patrick redrew Roland's fingers and that that mm-hmm. had never happened before. And what that causes is he's now back to two guns. Now, Susanna took his gun took his second gun when she left. Yeah. But um, I think that that didn't need to happen. It didn't serve any purpose. It felt very weird to me. She didn't get to keep it when she left. It got, it got destroyed along the trip and she threw it out. Mm-hmm. So it really just felt like a weird choice to me. Like it didn't, it wasn't Chekhov's gun. It was just, it was pointless. It was like, well, okay. So I think that she could have just not taken the gun and been okay. Um, And then he, like, I don't think you would have questioned it is what I'm saying. I don't think you would have been like, wait a, wait a second. She should have taken his gun because she needs a weapon wherever she's like, I feel like he just wouldn't think of it. Mm. So whatever. So I think that, that Patrick should have redrawn Roland's two fingers. 
And that would have meant that when the Crimson King was lobbed, even if he does lob the, let's say he lobs the grenades. Okay. He lobs the sneeches and he's doing that. He's he's just, he is fully insane. Well, so, but he's, instead of just saying, oh, the tower's mine, you'll never get to it. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Instead of that being the thing, the King is trying to kill Roland specifically so he doesn't enter the tower because then he will be trapped and become him again, and it will just keep going. So the only reason that the king has been trying to kill Roland the entire time for seven books is because he doesn't want him to become him. He just wants him to die and have it end. Okay? So every time it fails, every single time he fails, he tries to stop Roland. Roland blows the sneeches out of the sky, and he climbs a tower. Uh, Patrick erases him. And he climbs a tower and it repeats. So I'm saying what happens different this time is his fingers are now redrawn. So now he has two guns. So what I'm thinking is he he's blown up the sneeches and they explode. I'm thinking now that he has two guns, he got one that he didn't get before because they dodged a few of them. They jumped out of the way. Mm-hmm. So one of those now gets shot and it explodes and the shrapnel goes and kills Patrick. Patrick's dead. He is now unable to erase the Crimson King. So Roland now is forced to go and talk with the Crimson King. He keeps going. He keeps going closer. And yeah, at first he's pissed and he just wants to kill him. But then finally the Crimson King is like, wait a minute, because he on the balcony has all the memories of all the Rolands, of all the versions of this has already happened before. Okay. So this is new. This is the first time that this has ever happened. And he just talks with Roland. So they redo the palaver scene from the first one. You get that repeat of that scene. And they have this talk and he explains all of this to Roland. And he says, I know you've, you've come here and I know all you want to do is climb it because I was you and a thousand other versions of me were a thousand other versions of you. But you have to turn away. You have to go back. Don't climb the tower. If you go away, you never become me. And like maybe the current version of him will fade away because the cycle is finally broken. And I think that even though it's really difficult to convince Roland to do this, I think Roland does and he turns away. And so the book, instead of ending with, so I guess, yeah, we won't end with the loop. This will be the one that breaks the loop. You learn about the loop. That's part of it. That's, that's what's happened a thousand times before. So it's kind of like the matrix, the final end of the matrix. That's basically what happens there too. You know, this has happened eight other times or whatever it is. And we've been in this loop and now we're going to, it's going to end differently this one time. And so it's kind of like that. So, and then Roland just ends up uh, walking back and there is no Patrick. He's dead. Um, And he goes off into the sunset literally because this or the sunrise or sunset. I think sun was setting. He just Mm -hmm. literally gets to walk off into the sunset and the book just ends. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's a more of a hopeful ending and he finally fucking broke. And you have an explanation of why the fucking, Crimson King is doing any of the things he's doing. It's it's just to kill Roland so he doesn't get trapped. That's that's my idea. I like it. I always I feel like 
when there's an ending I don't understand, I feel like there's probably some sort of metaphorical layer that I wasn't getting. So I'm sure there's some symbolism there where the Crimson King represents, you know, history and Patrick represents the youth learning from the past mistakes and redrawing history. I don't know. There's probably some (laughs) metaphorical shit that is uh, way over my head. And that's why he did it the way or in typical Stephen King fashion, he just didn't really know how to end it and sort of cobbled something together. I think it might be that, <laughs> but I think you might be both right. I don't know. It's possible. I do. Uh, think I, what, what you've got there, Steve, is, is a pretty good setup for uh, an anthology series. Yeah. Like if you made a TV show where it was rolling, sitting and talking to the Crimson King and talking about all the thousand times this has happened before, that's a framing device for like a Twilight Zone kind of TV show where sure. each week. Here's another version of Roland and what happened to him. Right. And I know that the movie was uh, purporting that that was what they were going for. They're like, oh, well, this is one of the other, this is one of the other loops. And it's like, okay, bud, but you freaking condensed seven books into one and it sucked. So go fuck yourself. 